0: You know us, just two guys going beyond conspiracy theories, getting right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears, my co-host Christopher Dean. Let him have it. Join us as we go behind enemy lines to reveal the truth about another aspect of this occult matrix. As we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing. Bring the Rain, Returning Fire in a War of Ideas Part 3. Are atheists today simply smarter than the rest of us? Do they really hold the keys to all of life's questions or are we being bullied into trusting them when many of the arguments against God are actually full of holes? We're going to talk about that and much more coming up right here on Operation Red Pill. Ladies, gentlemen, pontificators, conversational master debaters, and everyone (laughs) in between, welcome back to another episode of Operation Red Pill, where we take you beyond conspiracy theories and get right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. Now, this is a really old format. So we don't have, unfortunately, when we do these things where we review prior to recording, for some reason, we seem to overlook critical components of what needs to be there. And least, since I'm in time. charge, shut up, you haven't been introduced yet. <laughs> since I'm in charge, I have to blame myself. I have to take responsibility for this. Ladies and gentlemen, this is hard. It's very difficult for me. Not because I'm a proud individual, but most importantly, because it's really not my fault. I have delegated this responsibility to others who clearly dropped the ball. But we're not here to point fingers. No, that's not what we do. It's not the way. What we're going to do is move forward past this because what we have got before us is a plethora, I mean, an assortment of BS reasons for why we can prove that God doesn't exist. And we're going to get into all of that. Now, normally, you know, we give our little three counts of stuff we can get into, but we're not going to do that today because we got 10 clear cut points that are going to verify that God doesn't exist. And you just have to sit back and trust us on this because we've got all the answers. It's been scientifically proven and we're here to present that information to you because that's what we do. We care about you and we're here to make sure that your spiritual development is fully developed i don't know why since god doesn't exist but don't sit here and try to put two and two together and try to make sense of this just trust us with that being said i need you to welcome with me my non-atheistic co-host mr christopher dean how's it going bro it is going (laughs) boy oh boy was it a rough intro (laughs) <laughs> yeah, talk about technical difficulties. Man, it has been a day so far. I'm almost feeling like I'm under fire. Okay, yeah, I think you should you should feel that way because you are. You know, I, I'm not I'm not liking it though. No, it's not fun. I didn't wake up wanting to be shot at, but I swear it has been incoming after mortar fire, after friendly fire, after ground warfare, and I just I can't take it anymore. I'm almost shell shocked. Man, when we came
1: out of the intro, and I'm looking at the notes, and those things weren't there, it was like the whole road just disappeared. I was like, "Oh man, this. Uh, all right, uh,
0: my my bad." It's like watching the movie Speed, and they 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 make that turn, and the bridge is out. Uh huh. But my bus doesn't go any faster, and I'm like, "We're gonna die." <laughs> Clearly, there's there's no way to avoid this catastrophe. Uh, sorry about that. It's all right, man. Things happen. Let's the let the people know that we're human. Some days, right, right. This is, a, <laughs> this is a lesser day for us. It's a very, very human day. Hey, speaking of movies, and this is not a movie reference, but have you ever have you ever played Medal of Honor? Yes, I think. Okay, Was, were they the
1: old ones? It de- if I've played it, it's definitely the old ones. I think Medal of Honor Frontline was the one that I had played.
0: Wait, what was it?
1: Medal of Honor Frontline, I think, was the, okay, the I title hadn't played of that, that one. one. It's probably before you were born. And I'm older than you.
2: <laughs> I know.
0: That's funny.
1: No, it's. I definitely think it was one of the older ones, because I don't think like when I transitioned into uh, Call of Duty or whatever, I, I don't think I ever went back to anything
0: else. I don't think. Okay. I was talking to one of my uh, co workers this week. We were talking about video games and what I appreciate about them. Uh, okay. He was, he was talking about how, you know, he's, he's got a PS5 for his son and how they, they bond together by actually playing games. And I'm like, that's cool. So it kind of opened up a conversation for me to talk about some of the games I like, and Medal of Honor came up. And one of the things I remember most about that game was a specific mission where we actually had to go. We were on a mountaintop dealing with insurgents and we found this looked to be like an abandoned hut up up on the mountaintop.
3: All right, form on me at that hut. They were just here. Ready?
0: And a phone starts
3: ringing. And one
0: of our guys in the group actually goes to open the door to pick it up. And we're like, no, and it explodes. And everybody has to come, you know, come to, there's gunfire everywhere. Your ears are ringing. And what's left of the building, we all huddle into for shelter. And then we have to start returning fire. And it is a Gunfight for our lives. And I mean, there are people coming from every direction, and you're firing and you're trying to preserve ammo, but you're just letting it rip. And we're passing Mags, and you're getting down, you know. Boom, 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 boom. Letting folks have it, and we're just like, I don't. I think we're gonna make it. Adam, just shoot! We're gonna make it.
4: Take Three o'clock! Take them out on the right! Take the cover behind the truck! Adam! Get those guys! Roll the floor! Truck! Pilot. Shit! It's moving! That truck's rigged! Take it down! Incoming!
0: and you're seeing the ammo count just dump. Mags, you're getting down, you know, two mags left. Enemy down. I see RPGs, two o'clock. Take them up. Kill shot. Oh, one mag. You gotta get your friend. You got anything? I'm almost out. Last mag. that's coming, more than what we have ammo for. RPGs! Enemy down! Shit!
4: In command! One more down! Jesus! Fall back! back the off the shooter! We're
0: done! And I'm like, oh no, I really think we're about to die on this hill.
3: Rebel 1-6! Rebel one six. Hold your men! We are not going to make it! We're out of ammo and the enemy is closing in!
1: We're in the high ground. Oh. Three,
0: 40. Good luck. Getting down! That's it. We are out of ammo. And out of nowhere, Four, this About this Apache o'clock. helicopter comes in and lights up the entire mountain. And you just jump up like yes! The coolest thing was that they bought the rain.
4: Get some, yeah!
0: It's like when you are under heavy fire and you have aerial support to give you a tactical advantage in order to suppress or destroy an enemy that has you surrounded, there is no other feeling like that in the world. And I'm here to tell you, I've never served, but I have served in the virtual world. And boy, oh boy, it was a feeling I will never forget. All right. And it makes me uh think about how oftentimes we as followers of Christ are in a hostile world. Right. Mm-hmm. Now we know in general, man, and I, I when I say no, I put that in really big quotation marks. Cause most of us I don't think really behave as though we know this. But we do know that we're in a hostile environment. And that there's a war going on somewhere. And at some point we could be involved in that war. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. But it's yeah.
0: another thing to come around the corner and see that you are greeted with a a hostile face that you are pre, that you're greeted with someone that has ill intents against not necessarily just your person per se, but really against your belief system. And is okay. looking to do much harm to that system, that system of, of thought, that system that you've built your whole life over. And sometimes you could find yourself in some really nasty situations that you didn't foresee. You know, you come around mm-hmm. the corner, you step on an IED and you're like, uh-oh. That same sort of situation seems to happen in the online community.
1: Right, from an ideological perspective.
0: Yeah, you know, you're going about just doing your typing, maybe perusing your social media, trying to figure out, uh, you know, if your best friend is doing okay, what they've been doing for the weekend. And as you happen to scroll past that, next thing you know, boom. Ideological landmine is thrown right in your face. Mm-hmm. And it can be really challenging on how to navigate that. How do you deal with that? How do you return fire? And returning fire is one thing. How do you actually bring the rain? How do you bring the type of firepower to the battlefield that is a force multiplier and changes the situation?
2: Okay.
0: Are you asking me? (laughs) What? How do you? No, I'm not asking you. It's a rhetorical (laughs) question. Okay. It's designed for effect, Christopher.
1: But since oh, it affected you, me, all right. I was like, I don't think I have an answer for this. I was
0: about to say, <laughs> since you seem like you have
1: an answer, go ahead. Oh, no, I was worried. I was sweating bullets.
0: I was like, I hope he's not like asking me to answer this. No, mm. I was not, sir. Uh, I, I think, though, that it's important to realize that we do have that type of firepower available. Right? Okay. We do have Apaches. We do have attack helicopters, so to speak. Mm-hmm. We're not just limited to small arms fire. True. And that is the word of God. But we also have to use the, one of the biggest weapons that we've been given. And believe it or not, it's actually something that I think we despise many times. What's and that? that? Our mind. Mm. It's one of the greatest weapons we've been given. And that's why scripture talks so much about renewing the mind. It's also why this culture, a a satanic-oriented culture, is focused on destroying the mind. Because you can't navigate a hostile environment effectively if your mental space is messed up. That's true. Right? So learning how to engage these ideas in a hostile environment, I think, is very important. And part of that is learning how to navigate our own mental space. So when we're presented with certain ideas, we don't freak out. Right. right? We can take it apart and go, wait a minute. And one of the things we're seeing in society so much is the rise of what I call the pop atheists. Okay. And these are these individuals who believe in atheism. They've been granted a certain level of pop status, like pop star status, and they become very prevalent in our culture. Mm -hmm. You know, these people like uh, Richard Dawkins. I'm not even, who who are the four horsemen? I probably should have known this before I I, I went (laughs) down this path. I was
1: trying to remember. I was like, I hope he doesn't ask me because there's always one I leave out. I was trying to
0: remember and not ask you, and I only got to one. (laughs) And I was like, who are the other three?
1: So it's uh, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris,
0: and a fourth guy. Somebody else will help us with that. Yeah, Yeah, one one of our listeners will hit us with that one that we miss. I don't know. why I can't ever remember number four. You have a lot swimming around in that beautiful mind of yours. (laughs) So once or once, once in a while, a detail gets lost, randomly stuck to the side of that cranium and just doesn't (laughs) flow through with the rest of the thought process. I understand. Happens to the best of us. I appreciate your understanding. Yes. Could explain why there wasn't sufficient information in the intro of the episode, but we're not going to live in the past. <laughs> See, this is the result of
1: tinkering. Yeah, right. If you didn't change stuff, this would have been a perfect episode, you know, 16 years ago.
0: <laughs> so you're, you're going to blame me for this. That's well, all you're right. blaming me for it. So, you know, th- I wasn't this- technically blaming you. I was just assigning blame to where it was due. <laughs> See, there's a difference. It wasn't personal.
1: Technically, that's blaming me.
0: <laughs> Well, I guess it's good for us to at least start uh, trafficking in technicalities because we're gonna need that <laughs> as we jump into this episode today. Because uh, we were talking a moment ago about the the uh, pop pop uh, the four horsemen of atheism. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the point I was gonna make is that uh, these guys, as well as others kind of enjoy this elevated status within our society. And it's become amazingly popular to pick on God. Like to pick Mm -hmm. on God in a way where I'm like, it's just not smart. Like, what if you're wrong? Right. Just on the off chance that you're wrong, that there actually does exist the most powerful being ever it doesn't seem like a good course of action to belligerently deny their existence because any way they show up is going to be problematic. Yeah. Right. Especially <laughs> if they have a Samuel L. Jackson element to their personality. No doubt. No doubt. You know, if they show up and like, Oh, these mother don't believe I exist. Oh, I got something for them. here. Hold my angel wings. and show right up quickly. <laughs> I want
1: to know who is censoring the most powerful <laughs> being in the universe.
0: Himself. Okay. Yes, he has discipline. <laughs> Vernacular discipline is what he has. Oh, uh, that's funny. Right? You don't you know, think it would be a smart idea to like just stand there and be like, "Hey God, if you really exist, prove it." You're like you're like on a mountaintop and the mountain uh-huh. crumbles and he's like, "You believe it now?" <laughs> it's a little too late to change your perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. I figured they would take a slightly more humble approach, you know, like the Drax approach.
4: Be okay. exceedingly yeah. Extraord- humble, extraordinarily, extraordinarily right. humble. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> right. But but they don't. They come out with such force, and not only do they do that, they throw it at us, and that force we we intuitively feel. Mm-hmm. And there's this
1: weird um, air about them that somehow not believing is, is the elevated position to be in. Yes.
0: I'm glad you pointed that out because it's, it's weird. It's almost like this. Uh, like you, like you said, it's like this arrogant approach of I'm superior because I'm free of the need of religious belief. I no longer need that in my life. I have evolved past that, and I am—I'm—I'm yeah. I'm elevated now to a position of freedom where I don't have religion holding me back. I can now live my free life. Mm-hmm. And you peasants, you ideological intellectual peasants, need to get to where we're at, especially you Christians.
1: Yeah, that's definitely how it feels going into it right you guys are the supreme
0: citizens of peasantville (laughs) right out of all of the religions this is the one that you can't you can't possibly understand how people believe in it Mm -hmm. and it's so wacky the other day i was on doesn't happen much but i happened to be on social media and (laughs) tiktok no actually i've gotten rid of tiktok I've been off TikTok TikTok for probably about a month and a half.
1: Interesting. That explains why you haven't talked about it and I haven't got anything from you. All right.
0: See, I've got actual evidence to the fact that I've been off. (laughs) In fact, my sister was telling me the the other day, my older sister, she was saying um, I was out of touch with some of the news. Okay. And she was like, how do you not know this is going on? She's like, it's all over the talk. I said, listen here, woman the reason I'm <laughs> off the talk is because you just came at me so strongly telling me that that was a waste of my time and then constantly berated me for the section of TikTok that under no fault of my own, I happen to find myself subjected to. <laughs> she goes, yeah, you need to get off of that side of TikTok. She was, like, don't, I don't know how you got stuck over there. I said, that was the interesting side of TikTok. Cheek yeah. shaking is exactly the type of information <laughs> I need to be affiliated with. On a 24 7 basis. She was like, No, yeah. you do not. You need to have news. Good, informative nudes. news. I was like, This is informative. I'm kidding. All coverage that I see, I need. I thought you said nudes. I was oh, like, Oh, that's funny. What? No, not nudes, news. <laughs> that's hilarious. So now I've been off of there for a while, but I happen to be on, um, I think it was Instagram doing some of our work. Uh uh-huh. And after I posted something, uh, another post came up in the feed and it talked about the new AI that was out and how there was a a question submitted to to the AI it basically said, can you tell me a joke about Jesus? And it said, sure. Why was Jesus afraid to play cards? Answer, because he was afraid of the cross. And I was like, well, I don't get the joke. Doesn't it's not funny. Right. But here was the next thing that was more interesting. They, they they entered in another question. Can you tell me a joke about Muhammad? And the AI came back. It's not appropriate for me to make jokes about other people's religious views.
3: And oh. so I'm, I'm accepting <laughs> of all of
0: them. So I, I'm not going to do that. Is there anything else I can help you with? And wow. I was like, so whoever programmed this. On a baseline level, because it's still artificial intelligence. So we, we recognize that it can learn and that intelligence can develop, but there still is baseline programming. Mm-hmm. Whoever did that programmed it was okay to, to make fun of Christianity. Right. But not the other religions. You you have to you have to venerate those. You have to show respect to them. And it sounds it, like what were you gonna say? Sounds like Alice Bailey. How so?
1: Well, just the whole idea of the new age and theosophy and we have to be accepting you. of Got all you. the religions, but I'm going to put together a system to
0: absolutely tear down the fundamental structure of Christianity. Right. That's the one religion yeah. we can't, we, we can't tolerate as we're right. tolerant of everything else. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much spot on, man. And I, I think that really speaks to what you were saying before about the level of attack that we're under. Like sometimes I I think we're under so much attack we don't recognize it we kind of get used to it, mm-hmm. like shell shock exactly, and that's not good because it it gives the enemy a, a false sense of safety, you know we, I got this handled these these Christians ain't fighting back, and it gives us yeah. a false sense of a failure, mm-hmm. you know and false, hopelessness yeah. When really we're supposed to be, we're, we're the strong man. We're supposed to be facts. So it raises this question here. Um, Scratch that. I'll cut that. You go ahead. You pick up.
1: Okay. So we have to be strong men, and, and two people that I see on the internet a lot that I really, really appreciate for for being the strong men
0: that we need to be is Mike Winger and then uh, Mister B from Red Pen Logic. Okay, Red Pen Logic is that that guy who sits there, listens to somebody berate Christianity, has a a cup and a pen normally. Uh huh. Is that the dude? And then yep, he responds the back really quick, like, "Well, here's why this is stupid," and starts taking yeah. it apart.
1: Yep, that's exactly it. I didn't know he had
0: had uh, a handle. Yeah. No, I just he would show up on 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 the Instagram feed. Okay. I, I take that back. He would show up on the top. That's why I haven't seen him in a while. <laughs> okay. Okay. I
1: I really really like him. I like almost all of his content. The biggest thing that I have an issue with is his videos are so short. Okay. But I can appreciate what he's doing because his videos are about the length of the videos that he is responding to Mm -hmm. so he's he's you know trading fire with fire essentially exactly Uh, which is good but for me for someone that has a much larger appetite I was like you've got to have more so you know you string like 10 videos together they're like that that's all you've got I still need more
0: that's funny Uh,
1: but they actually did Mike Winger and and Mr. B they challenged each other to answer um, 10 proofs or 10 ways to prove that God doesn't exist in like under two minutes or something like that Really interesting. Uh, they tough. both did it. Yeah. Yeah. But they did it well. Their answers were different. Okay. Um, it was fun. But when you were given your Medal of Honor um,
0: story, it had me thinking about hold the, on, hold on, the difference. Hold on, hold on. That has a specific name. And the reason I'm stopping you is because you constantly make me have to say this word. What? We put it in the notes all the time. Anecdote. There you go.
1: Okay, my bad, my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what did I do so horribly wrong? Oh, was okay, horribly yeah, wrong. So <laughs> you just, you just,
0: you, you needed me a bit with that. Like, what's okay, the call, yeah. Jason? It's a hoot.
1: <laughs> yeah, your Medal of Honor anecdote. And tr- having to go from, you know, like regular machine gun fire to sidearms and then being able to bring the rain. I really think, especially because these two guys tried to attack this this subject matter in like under two minutes, I saw it like sniper fire. Like they're just from a distance, just taking it out, killing it. Right. Oh, nice. And, and it's great. I If anyone's out there curious, it's definitely worth a watch. I think it's wonderful, but this is a bring the rain segment of operation red pill. Wait, wait. So, segment. well, I mean, we've done a couple of them. Is it, is it too pre, Preemptive to call it a segment. I don't think we've made it an official show show segment. Okay, this is a bring the
0: rain episode of Operation Red Pill. Right? But if you guys are are enjoying these episodes, because like you said, Christopher, this is the third one we've done, then hit us up in the comments if you'd like us to make this an actual segment.
1: Yeah, and I I mentioned in the last one, I think it would be really cool if there's any listeners that are curious that they have questions or see memes because the last two that we did we specifically were just attacking memes and things that we found on social media if you see these things send them our way and we'll load them into the hopper and and put them into this this
0: show segment if that that's what the listeners want yeah i like that so hit us up we're serious about this y'all like it yes i will make it an actual segment that we do if not then this might be the last one That is possible. You won't have a type of cover fire that you've grown accustomed to. Just be out there on the top of the mountain, cold, behind in the breeze. Nobody wants that. that. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. You don't want those cheeks out. (laughs) Unless it's TikTok. Anyway, I
1: digress. But, yeah, so I was thinking as much as I appreciated their take on it, two minutes is not really a time frame that Operation Red Pill can work with. (laughs) <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll give Mike Winger and Mr. B the the sniper fire, but we wanted to take uh, ten ways to prove that God doesn't exist and bring the rain and just rain down fire on it.
3: Man,
0: you know what I would say at that moment? What's that? Rain down, holy hell! But I'm not sure <laughs> theologically if you can <laughs> use those two terms. That's so funny because because I'm
1: about to (laughs) to bring up the laws of logic Uh and how we need to keep them in the forefront of our mind.
0: And that one would be a contradiction. (laughs) It would be. Although, I know this is going to irritate someone. If God has actually ordained for a dimensional divide to place people that do not want to be in his presence and are thus subjected to the penalty of their own sins since they reject it, an actual offer that would that would substitute for their their position, then he actually is being righteous, which would be within the context of his holiness to create a place like that, which we call hell. So you could make the argument that holy hell is not necessarily an ideological. What's the what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, What do they call oxymoronic statement? Okay, okay. You can make the argument that holy hell is not an ideological oxymoronic statement. That being said, (laughs) let's rain down holy hell, baby. (laughs) All
1: right, so um, the laws of logic, like I said, there's three of them. Now, there's what, like 200 some ways that you can violate these three laws, but the three laws of logic, the first one is the law of identity. So in order for something to be, it has to be just like itself and unlike something else. That gives it a its identity. Two, the law of non-contradiction. So you can't be something and not be something at the same time. <laughs>
0: Okay, I know everybody's <laughs> like, why Why are they laughing? What oh, you man. can't see was that as Christopher was saying that, <laughs> I was looking at the notes and the, what was really written was the law of contradiction. And so I, I turned my head looking at it a bit strangely. And without missing a beat, Christopher realized the mistake and slowly began to edit <laughs> right in non in front of contradiction. I was like, oh, that that, that just appeared quickly. On uh, the fly corrections funny. are great. <laughs> that's yeah. hilarious. My bad. So,
1: so, so what's the, law- the third uh, law?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the third law is the law of excluded middle. That you can't kind of be something or kind of not be something. Okay. Or something can't kind of be true and kind of not be true. It's that you have to exclude all of that middle ground, that things actually have to be black and white if you're
0: trying to assess it from a logical perspective. Now, it's funny. People will probably push back and go, no, there's gray area, right? But one of the classic examples of the law of excluded middle that I see is when somebody says, hey, are you cute? If the response is kind of, it never works. (laughs) Right, right. Either you're cute or you're not. Mm-hmm. And we like to maybe say kind of in order not to hurt the person's feelings. Yeah. But if you go talk to the person, they internalize and go, well, what the heck does that mean? Just am uh-huh. I cute or not? Don't hit me with this kind of business. Or do you love me?
1: Kind of. Kind of love
2: you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Doesn't work well. Have you been right. faithful? Em-
1: kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Emotionally, we recognize that that, that doesn't work. Right. So as we go into these, we'll have ten, 10 proofs or 10 ways to prove that God doesn't exist, arguments from atheists. We'll keep in mind these three laws of logic to see if any of these reasons they give us actually violate laws of logic. So All you right. ready? Yeah, let's hit it. All right. So number one, the the first reason or the first way to prove that God doesn't exist is this. It says that the fact that a human being has to tell you about the existence of your God proves there's no God, we would be born with knowledge of its existence. What
0: do I, you say? I call hogwash. Okay. Why? I would say the fact that a human being has to tell me that there's a reason to prove that God doesn't exist disproves the whole point. <laughs> like if we good. Going, if we're going to to put weight on if, if we're going to use this argument it places the weight of disproof based on the fact that a human being is telling you about something but at the same time the human being is telling you about the point so if yeah. it's about a human being telling you something which means you can't trust the human being then why am i trusting this statement that's being delivered from a human being as well
2: okay
1: interesting
0: it doesn't add so would up. you
1: Would you say that it violates the second law, the law of non-contradiction? Because if we can't believe a human being, then we shouldn't be able to believe this statement, which is given by a human being. Yeah. We can't trust and not trust a human being at the same time in the same way. That's illogical. Exactly my point. Okay. All right. That's good. I was thinking of all the things that we have to teach human beings.
0: That was my second thing that I thought about.
1: Like, how many years of schooling do we have? Not advocating for the 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 government school system, right? But there's a lot of information that we need that we are not born with. I was
0: just gonna say Washington D.C. doesn't exist because you're not born with that knowledge. Well, no, because a teacher had to tell me, and a teacher is a human being. Okay. So if the existence of something is predicated on the fact that someone has to tell me about it. Then there's a lot of things that I've been told exist that don't exist. That's true. If, let, let's let's flip that upside down though. What things are we actually
1: born with the knowledge of? So you know, it, I think this will narrow it a little bit. That if we you know take the other end, what things can we know without a doubt actually exist because
0: we're born with the knowledge of it? I would say ourselves. Okay. Um, That's interesting. Because you have to at least be able to separate between yourself and other people or other things in order to place yourself within a universe.
2: Okay.
1: Well, I was thinking like, and, and maybe I'm just taking it too literal, but like when you're born, right? Like what are the things that are actually there? If you have a baby that can... Which can't survive on its own anyway, but just as a thought exercise, like but I what think the baby it, what,
0: still knows that there are intrinsic differences that the baby knows. The baby knows there's between between itself and you.
1: Right, I was going to say because a brand newborn baby can still figure out how to latch and nurse exactly. So even though it doesn't have the words to explain it, it does know the difference between itself and the body of the mother.
0: Yep. So it has spatial awareness. Okay. Interesting. Is that it? Um. Yeah, I'll go with that. I don't have anything else pressing me. What do you have? Yeah.
1: No, I didn't even have that one. So <laughs> I'm
0: impressed that there was anything. No, so, there's I'm- a couple other things that I've heard, but I can't bring them to mind right now on innate information or knowledge that you have to know like that you're born with. Like one is one is spatial awareness. Like, you know, that you're, there's a difference between you and other bodies.
2: Okay. Right. So you're able to,
0: to move your, 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 your body. You're able to animate. Okay.
1: One would have to be some recollection of comfort and discomfort or right or wrong or something, because a brand new baby can be comforted. It can, it can cry out because like it has a reason. So there's a very minuscule amount of, of reason That's functioning in the mind of an infant, you know, I like this. I don't
0: like this, you know, even if it's just that binary, right. There's recognition of pain. Mm -hmm. There's recognition of hunger. There's recognition of sleepiness. So there's different, there's recognition of different body states. Yeah. That you're born with, but why are you asking?
1: No, I was just going to say, because that's clearly going to be a much smaller list than the things that we have to be told. We have to be told that we need to eat. Like we might innately know that there's something wrong with us because we're feeling something. We're feeling hunger, even though we don't know it's hunger, but we don't know that eating is going to fix that. We don't know that sleeping is going to fix sleepiness. We don't know what things we should eat. We, You know, almost nothing is is aside from those basic things we discussed and maybe a couple others. Everything else we have to be told what to do, and that comes by way of other human beings. We're not born with that knowledge.
0: Ah, Now I see why you went down that path.
1: Yeah. So it just doesn't make any sense. A lot of times we talk about how, for whatever reason, whether it be a heart issue or, or an emotional um, hang up, that we put standards on the knowledge of God that we don't apply to anything else. And I think this is just another example of that.
2: Absolutely. We wouldn't,
0: yeah. I was going to say evolution can't exist either. That, yeah. See, this.
1: This is this is why you're here. Wow. Because <laughs> I, yeah, it, it, at least from my perspective, I can give like the straightforward answer. Okay. But then you like are able to tie in these other things that seem so incredibly obvious after you say them, <laughs> but, but but before I'm like ah, I don't know I got nothing else. That's funny. That gets me. But no, that a lot in life. <laughs> that's really cool because it's interesting that they even one of the excuses for why you can't scientifically recreate. Evolution is because it happens too slow for a person to, to see it. So, so literally you have to be told about it by other people. Exactly. Wait. Uh, yeah. That was good.
0: I like that. Do you have anything else for number one? I was just reading the last part. We would be born with knowledge of God's existence. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. So that's why I
1: kind of went through this, even though we are born with some some ideas and some knowledge, it's not enough to even navigate
2: our life.
0: Well, true. But one of the things I think is clever about that statement is that when you read the last part, we would be born with knowledge of its existence. I think that statement is built on a certain understanding of knowledge like what type of knowledge since there are generally 3 different types of knowledge
3: uh-huh. what
0: exact type of knowledge is it saying that we would be born with like is it experiential knowledge is it know-how knowledge is it factual knowledge or is it revelatory knowledge huh the inference is that if god existed we would be we would be born with a certain level of experiential knowledge, we would know it that way. But because you have to be told, which would constitute factual knowledge, somehow that's a lower degree or a lesser degree that can be dismissed. When the reality would be, in order to know God, it would take revelatory knowledge in in the way that this is being inferred. Okay. God would have to reveal himself. Right. Until a person got to the point that they had enough cognitive capacity to be able to evaluate the world around them and derive certain conclusions using deductive reasoning where they could deduce based on certain lines of thinking and arguments that there must be a God. And scripture says that every person is capable really of doing, every person's held accountable to be able to realize there's a God because of because creation speaks to his existence. Right. Right. But you have to reach a certain measure or capacity of cognitive awareness to be able to deduce that. Mm -hmm. That means uh, I'm at least trying to cover the the base for if you're dealing with people with mental handicaps, you know, if they're not able to realize this, you know, we're getting a bit theological Mm-hmm. You know, is God holding him accountable for it. And that moves into a different area. I think dealing with the righteous God, he is smart enough to realize whether a person has the mental capacity to be able to understand these things. Right. And quite he's constantly
1: Go ahead. I was just going to say that he's constantly dealing with the limitations of humans. right? So a, a, a mental one is not outside
0: of his wheelhouse. Exactly. But here's the other interesting thing just to think about. Um you have people in your family that have some mental challenges and, and limitations. <laughs> I don't mean that in a in a in a mean way. <laughs> I know I said that it, it might have come come across. <laughs> Why aren't we talking about your family? <laughs> because in this particular sense, I don't have people that are clinically uh that, that have mental uh, handicaps. Clinically. That's
2: funny.
0: I, I got no, one. I, gotcha, I, I, gotcha. I think <laughs> I would say have got some, but you understand what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, with those you. people, though, I, th- I I would argue, and you tell me if I'm wrong, I think they have a high degree of intelligence in other areas and a high degree of sensitivity in other areas. Okay. With that being said, although they may not have the the cognitive capacity to intellectually get to certain places, they do seem to have the intuitive capacity to get to other places. And I think it's quite possible that while a person may lack the mental ability to go through lines of thinking to get to the fact that God exists, Mm -hmm. I think they probably have the intuitional ability to still get to the place of realizing that God exists.
2: Okay.
1: Sorry, you just got my brain going down this whole track of, you know, us being spiritual beings with a body. Okay. You know, not physical beings with a spirit. All right. So then if we are, and if our, um, our destiny or our existence for all eternity is tied to things that happen through the vehicle of the body, but that vehicle is, is damaged in some sense. How does the spirit of that person who doesn't have the handicaps of the body? Right. So like a, a mentally handicapped person is not going to be a spiritually handicapped person.
0: Good point. I I think um, who, who was that JP Moreland who pointed out that physical limitations don't always result in, in cognitive, not cognitive, but uh, spiritual limitations. Yeah. Yeah. That because the body is impaired in certain respects, does not mean that the soul is equally impaired in the same respect. Exactly. But that exactly. the expression of the soul may be impaired when it's trying to express through an impaired body. Yeah. Uh-huh. Real heady stuff, but then when you, you wrap your mind around, you're like, that makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, it's crazy. And
1: right. for anyone that that likes this level of conversation and this thinking, you, you said JP Moreland. I mean any of his videos on YouTube. Um, he's got several books, a simple guide to how simple guide to experiencing miracles, kingdom triangle, um, the soul, soul, love your God with all your mind. Like he really hits this stuff hard and he is just an excellent source for material along this line. It's fantastic.
0: Absolutely. I'm glad you, you put that plug in. It's funny, dude. Sometimes we go on these tangents and I'm, while we're on the tangent, I'm normally thinking of the audience and I'm thinking of the person that's busy Doing whatever, here's us going on a tangent, and is like, why in the hell are they talking about this? To give you
1: more time to clean,
0: <laughs> right? But it's also funny. We we pray for our our listeners. We pray for the audience. Uh, you know, every every time every, every time we sit down to record, and one of the things we pray for is that we we pray for the scrolls that, that God would actually give us the. Not just information, but words and that those words would answer questions that people have that we don't even know they have. Mm -hmm. And then we go off on these tangents and a lot of times I'm like, why are we on this tangent? I'm hoping (laughs) that there was someone who someone who's listening that had this question burning inside of them of can a person I know who's mentally challenged ever come to a realization that God exists? I'm hoping we just answered that for. Her. Else
1: yeah, we just and, wasted and, and a whole it, bunch of time. <laughs> no, and I don't think that we did. But if you're out there and you could let us know that you were wondering some of this or answered some questions that you had, that would be really cool. It just it helps kind of tie all of this together to know that that we're not just in this isolated studio, and uh, you know our listeners aren't just out there by themselves, but we're all really this community, and that God is actually intervening on behalf of us. That, that'd be dope if you can. If not, it's cool. No pressure, but we would love to hear it Facts. if our content answers some questions. Absolutely.
0: So, all right, let's hit us with the second one, man. What you got?
1: Second one is, a God belief is simple geography. Being raised in a religious home decides which God you believe in. I have heard this one so many times.
0: I think that the problem with this is that it's true. Really? Yeah, a God a God belief, it, it's true in, in one respect, but it's also an oversimplification. So okay. the first half of it is the oversimplification. A God belief is simply geography. Belief in God is not simply geography. I think geography does play a role in it. Being raised in a religious home decides which God you believe in. It may, but that's not the point of order here. The point of order is not which God you believe in based on how you were raised. The point of order is, is there a credible reason to believe in that God in the first place? Okay. That's what's being overlooked by that point. Yeah. It's kind of like saying the house you grow up in determines the team that you like. Or let me rephrase that. It's like saying the house you grew up in determines which team is the best. Okay. Or which team you think is the best. That'd probably be a more a better way of saying it. The house you grew up in determines which team you think is the best. Okay, possibly it does. But the real question is, is that team the best?
2: Right. That's what is really, it really seem- the
0: issue.
1: Sorry, there's a, a term I'm trying to think of um single factor analysis.
0: Okay. I love how you bring these 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 phrases out.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I can't remember the last time I heard it, but I know it's a thing and it's an issue that that comes into play with these because even though your geography, like where you're actually born, the culture that you're born into, the home that raised you, all of those things are clearly going to impact how you interact with the information about God. But what it fails to address is is all of the other factors in your life that are going to impact that. Exactly. So anytime you're, you're trying to assess something from single-factor analysis, you're almost always setting yourself up to be either, if not false or wrong, um, messed
0: up by any other insertion of information. Exactly. Now, here's the next point. If these are atheistic responses designed to disprove God, Mm-hmm. Then likewise, we can say that growing up in an atheistic home determines the fact that you don't believe God exists.
1: Yeah, but that's that's not true because I've talked to a bunch of atheists that were born in religious households.
0: There's that. So, th-
1: so they themselves are refuting this particular point.
0: Well, there there's 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 that component to it. But let's say you're dealing with a person who was raised as an atheist. Okay. Right. Does that and does that validate the fact that they're an atheist? It wouldn't it shouldn't validate or invalidate it. Exactly. It's It's really a mute point. mm -hmm. But it's being applied towards religion and the idea that you only believe what you believe because that's the way you were raised. Well, the person making that statement, we could make the counter argue to them. You only believe what you believe because that's how you were raised. Now yeah. they may try to shoot back and say, no, I was raised this way, but I adopted a new set of beliefs along the way. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. If that happened with them, why can't that be attributed to a another person? I could have been yeah. raised Christian and developed a different set of beliefs along the way and became a diehard Christian. A, a very convicted, thoroughly convinced Christian. Wasn't that way mm-hmm. when I started. Could have been raised uh non Christian. Or non-religious period and through through life circumstances, studying research, all of that became convinced and became a religious person. Yeah, it It doesn't really dances on the idea of nature versus nurture.
2: Okay, you are.
0: Well, you are how you are because of the nature that you grew up in the environment. That would be nurture. Oh, I got it wrong.
1: Yeah. Nature is what is in you, like genetic, what natural to you.
0: Got you. We'll have to edit this out. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) But thanks for clearing that up. No problem. But I think this also violates, as far as laws laws of logic, again, the law of non-contradiction. Okay. Explain it. Well, I think it contradicts itself with the... The uh, the uh, implication that a person only achieves a level of belief based on the home that they were raised in. Okay, and it's not applying that rule to itself, and it's also not accounting for the fact that there are other things in life that disprove that.
2: Okay, so
1: it can't be true and not be true in the same time in the same place, which is what's happening.
0: Precisely. Okay. now wait. would cool. that still be contradiction, or would that be excluded middle, where it can't be both true and not true.
1: Can't but be true and not true is contradiction. Excluded middle, Exc- right. excluded middle is you can't kind of be something. It couldn't kind of be true. Okay. And kind of not be true. Okay,
0: I got you. So
2: yeah,
0: how you would you? Dead on. Huh? You were dead on. Okay, cool. How how would you respond to this? Um. Or what problems do you see with this?
1: I see. I see the danger in it because it's. It seems like it makes a lot of sense because you see a lot of religious people coming from religious households and and vice versa. Um, it, like I said before, I think the the single factor analysis is probably the biggest issue with it. Okay. And then if I'm going to pick it apart even more, uh, it says being raised in a religious home decides which god you believe in. And um, I just think that that word choice is a little bit inaccurate because I think it informs which God you believe in, but it doesn't, it's not the deciding factor.
0: Because that would be a a component of a will and a will be a component of a person, of personhood. Right. And this is a non-personal statement. Yep. Contradictory. Uh Uh-huh. It is.
1: But I think the, the danger in it is what looks like the evidence to support it. I you, you know what I mean? Yeah. But then, um, you know, for those that are making arguments like this, uh, I would say that it's it's equally as dangerous to make argumentation along the line of – that is so easily um, – Disprovable. Prove, proved inaccurate. Yeah, or disprovable. Thank you. Because all you would need is like, like you've been talking about. All you would need is one example – Of an atheist coming from a religious household or a religious person coming from an atheistic household or any, any variation of that, because it, this statement tries to be so emphatic and all you need is one to be like, no, that is actually not true. And then you have to throw the argument out and restructure it because it was just done sloppy. So that's what I would say.
0: Exactly. All right. So moving on to
1: three. Yes. There was no time before the Big Bang, so that means that there was no time for a God to exist in or create things in.
0: I like this one.
1: This helps us
0: out. (laughs) I I really like this one. Okay, so how would you answer it? I would be like, you're almost right. I love the fact that it recognizes the limitation of time. Mm Mm-hmm. And it recognized the necessity for time, space, and matter to come into existence all at the same moment in order for our creation to even exist. The problem, I find, is with the definition of God. Okay. So, by definition, God is, is an uncaused being. Okay. So, when it comes to existence, they must have existed Always, and outside of time, not in time. Hmm. That's not what because existence. Is- Go ahead. I was just, I was just
1: gonna to clarify for those that don't know, based off of what we know about physics, time being a physical property would have come into existence along with everything else that you said. Right, it's a component of a material universe. Right. So something that brought in a material universe has to be non-material and time is an aspect of that has to be outside of time.
0: Exactly. But this statement places God in time. There's no time for God to to exist in, which means he has to exist in time and he has to create things in time. Okay. As opposed to creating time itself. Right. So there's a problem. There are problems with it all throughout, but what I like is at the very beginning, it recognizes that there's no time before the big bang. I have a problem. Well, I I would at least have a question mark with the big bang thing. You know, we'd have to dive into that a little bit more just to see exactly what it is. They believe, but you know, not straining, straining at that right now. In order for what the creation process to happen, like you said, time has to come into Existence at the same place that matter comes into existence. Mm-hmm. At the, you, and I, I think Ken Hovind does a, a, an amazing job delineating those three. And what happens he, he when does. you don't have that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I wish we had that clip we could play right now
3: click. The God of the Bible is not affected by time, space, or matter. If he's, if he's affected by time, space, or matter, he's not God. Time, space, and matter is what we call a continuum. All of them have to come into existence at the same instant. Because if there were matter but no space, where would you put it? If there were matter and space but no time, when would you put it? You cannot have time, space, or matter independently. They have to come into existence simultaneously. The Bible answers that in ten words. In the beginning, there's time, God created the heaven, there's space, and the earth, there's matter. So you have time, space, matter created a trinity of trinities there. just you know, Time is past, present, future. Space has length, width, height. Matter has solid, liquid, gas. You have a trinity of trinities created instantaneously. And the God who created them has to be outside of them. If He's limited by time, He's not God. The guy who created this computer is not in the computer. He's not running around in there changing the numbers on the screen, okay? The God who created this universe is outside of the universe. He's above it, beyond it, in it, through it. He's, he's unaffected by it. So for, and the, I, the concept of a, a spiritual uh, force cannot have any effect on a material body, well, then I guess you'd have to explain to me things like emotions and love and hatred and envy and jealousy and, and rationality. I mean, if your brain is just a random collection of chemicals that formed by chance over billions of years, how on earth can you trust your own reasoning processes and the thoughts that you, you think? Okay? So, um, I, your, your question, where did God come from, is assuming a limited God. And that's your problem. The God that I worship is not limited by time, space, or matter. If I could fit the infinite God in my three-pound brain, he would not be worth worshiping. That's for certain. So that's the God that I worship. Thank you.
0: Well, What about for you? How would you respond?
1: For me, it, it almost sounds like something, a sentence that I would write. So very recently... You and I have had a bunch of conversations about the importance of context, right? Yeah. Context driven approaches. And it's really interesting to me that this doesn't it it presumes or assumes all of the context to have it make any sense whatsoever. Explain. Because in and of in and of itself it's not bad. So if we didn't know that this was on a list of ten ways that you're disproving God mm-hmm. and you just take it a sentence by itself. There was no time before time began. No, there was no time before the Big Bang. So that means there was no time for a God to exist in or create things in. Okay, it's just a, It's a statement that doesn't prove it. It's just a. It's an observation of physics. You have to assume what you believe the Big Bang to be, and then you have to insert. So you have to insert what you think happened at the Big Bang. You have to insert what you think God is and what His characteristics and attributes are it's not doing any of that like so and because of that it could be a sentence that i use i could say there's no time before the big bang and this means there was no time for god to exist in or create things in and it's because of this we know that it was god that that created it this is how we know one of the ways that we can know that something timeless something immaterial created all of existence because there wasn't time before the big bang it's it's just a filler statement and doesn't actually get to any particular point on either side there was no time before there was time cool so if there was a god he had to exist in that space that's what we call eternity all right it, it doesn't do anything for the for their argument okay cool so what do we have for point number four Four, we have the Abrahamic God cannot exist because it wasn't the first God to be created. There are other gods that have been proclaimed to exist before your God. They can't all be true. So if we can deny the existence of one of these gods, we can use the same method to deny yours.
0: I see a lot of trouble with that statement. It's, okay. it's, it's just polluted with all sorts. What do they say? It's rife with all sorts of problems. Okay. Uh, The first problem that I see off the bat is the idea of a created God. Okay. That
1: the the, the Abrahamic God seems to be that he's saying that was created after the existence of other gods. Is that pretty much? Okay.
0: Oh, that's what it says right there. Cannot exist because it wasn't the first God to be created which gives oh, a okay. direct implication that that the Abrahamic God is created, but that displays a lack of understanding of of the claims of the Abrahamic God or the God of the Bible. Right. He distinctly right. states that he's eternal, he's uncreated. He is the creator. So the first part of that falls apart. Okay. Now, I'm okay with the fact that other gods may have been proclaimed to exist before, the God of of the Bible, only from a historical perspective. Mm -hmm. The written history that we have so far would seem to suggest that the the oldest written record would be the Mesopotamian texts, which predate the Mosaic texts. Okay. And the Mesopotamian texts do claim a different set of gods than the Mosaic texts, which would be, you know, a codification of the Abrahamic tradition, right? Mm-hmm. Fine. If, if just because the collection of written materials that we have now suggests that the Mesopotamian text is the oldest text on record so far, doesn't mean from an absolute standpoint that it is. It's just the oldest we know of right now. Okay. That being said just because one God predates the other doesn't mean that you can use that to justify the lack of existence of all of them. True. True. Like that was a huge leap. Oh, for sure. Which I'm like, I I don't even get how that logically was made. Especially using the same methods, which is exactly what it says. I can use those same methods to deny your God. Uh huh. I'm like, no, I don't. That doesn't add up for me. It doesn't at all.
1: And it's, it's interesting that is that all you were going to say, or did you have more?
0: Well, no, the last thing I was going to say is that just because something predates another being doesn't deny the existence of that being. That would be just like me saying, because your parents came before you and proclaimed to exist before you, that denies your existence. Right. It makes no sense at all to me. It doesn't.
1: I I think it's messed up because it assumes that the Abrahamic God came into existence alongside Abraham. Mm. And that's not the like if you look at the actual story, we know. Yeah. And like somehow Abraham was not aware of the existence of other gods. Like that no, that's not at all the case. Like he was in a culture that was saturated by pagan
0: beliefs. I believe he 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 came from an idol maker household.
1: Yeah. So he knew about other gods, but it was the reality that God revealed that this God that existed before the Big Bang and when there was time is now communicating with Abraham. It It dismisses so much of what is important
0: and assumes that Abraham just created him out of ignorance or whatever. I do like the fact that it makes a statement they can't all be true. Which seems to imply a certain understanding that truth is exclusionary by, by definition, by nature. Right. Like competing ideas cannot all be true. And while it's possible that they may all be wrong, it doesn't mean they all are wrong either. Right, right. You have to search through to find out. This just says because everything can't be true, then everything's wrong without searching for, well, which one is true.
1: Right, which violates the first law of logic, the law of identity. In order for different religions to be different, they have to, in their identity, be unlike other religions. So you can't, by definition, use the same method to disprove all of them if they're all different. You're assuming that the the identity of each one is the same, so you can disprove them all with the same method. It just right. would be like having a lineup of
0: little girls that are, are all claiming to be Casey, whoever, right? Uh-huh. And maybe the real Casey. Let me restart over. It's like having a lineup of Slim Shadies. and all <laughs> these people <laughs> are claiming to be some Slim Shady. Mm-hmm. But all we're looking for is for the real Slim Shady to please stand up. <laughs> please stand up. Please. We need you, Slim. Where are you at, baby? That's funny, you know. And if all these people claim that, it doesn't. It could be that they're all lying, but it doesn't necessarily Mm -hmm. mean that they all are lying, right? And I don't know why I'm always drawn to like
1: a marriage analogy. I don't know. But there there are a bunch of women
0: in this world, right? Yeah. Hold on a minute. I think we should take a moment of silence for this fact. Like we serve (laughs) a very good God. We could. There are a a bunch of women. Yeah, we could be on a planet with just a bunch of men, right? But we we our God in his infinite wisdom saw fit to bless this planet with women. And I say this as sundress season is right around the corner. <laughs> our, I, th- those two are not related. You know, I just think sure. they're, two, they're two very different things that we could be thanking God for, is all I'm saying.
2: Okay, that's you know, fair.
0: That's you know, fair. He said enter his courts with Thanksgiving. Yeah. That was too long of a pause. <laughs> <laughs> so I must be uh, tired or something. Right? Uh, you're married. So uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put the, I'll put that pause under the marriage side of you. <laughs> That's why you're always drawn to marriage analogies.
2: Okay. Okay.
1: But it's interesting because, you know, one of the, you know, there, there's so many other religions, right. Mm-hmm. And, Let's just assume that we have a particular method to disprove them. So there's a bunch of other women, and I'm trying to figure out which ones are my wife. So I come up with a particular method. It's stupid, but it'll make sense in a second. come up with a particular method to find out whether or not this woman is my wife. And it would be, I mean, simple. Do you have a marriage certificate, right? Mm -hmm. And it would be ignorant for me to, I could go to a thousand different women and be like, nope.
0: (laughs) <laughs> are you my wife? You look like her tonight I think you are I'm the wisest man in the world
1: And You're that's why he got into all Definitely, definitely of trouble. my wife <laughs> <laughs> But no, so I could go to all these different women And they're all going to fail This this method of determining You know, whether or not they're my wife Right That does not mean that I can just apply this method to every woman And I don't have a wife magically Exactly. It it doesn't make sense there. I do actually have a wife and there's specific things that make her my wife that's separate from, from every other woman. Right. I don't know how you can, what kind of mental gymnastics that you have to do to categorize everything in such a fallacious fashion and think that you can disprove them all. By one wave of your hand. It just doesn't make any sense.
0: Exactly. Exactly. It's like some sort of uh, conversational hocus pocus. Right. Right. It just, it's not going to walk. Nah, I'd blow that one up.
1: Skitches so for five. Right along the five. Five. Yep. God either allows the devil to exist and is an accomplice or it isn't an all powerful God An all powerful and loving God wouldn't allow
0: the devil to exist. This is a great one. Uh because it's chock full of so many things. Uh, okay, I'll me with them. Well, the first first thing that jumps out was the its. I love how they, okay. they made God impersonal. All right. That that was one issue I had, but that notwithstanding, God either allows the devil to exist and is an accomplice or isn't as all powerful basically as he claims. That's a huge charge against God, like a very popular charge Mm -hmm. that we constantly hear that if the devil exists, then God ought to not allow his existence, which means then God's not all powerful. That doesn't hold up at all. Right. But really, the charge is a little bit more subtle, and it's really a, a charge against God's goodness then the fact that he allows a being as evil as the devil to exist either makes him uh, a party to everything that the devil is doing, or he's just not powerful enough to stop his existence. Okay. It doesn't add up though. The the first part is that God allowing, allowing beings to have free will and to exercise that free will does not mean that he's guilty. Of the things those beings choose
1: to do. Right. Cause then it would somehow mean that God is guilty of allowing me to do all the
0: stupid things that I do. And that's that one of the harm places other people. people never send, tend to jump. Right. And I don't know mm-hmm. many parents of people who are incarcerated for crimes they committed that are trying to take the sentence of that child. Yeah. They're saying it wasn't them. It was me because I'm the one that bought them into this world. <laughs> Right. right. So I'm responsible for everything they've done. I think this also denies the fact that that a person can be a free will agent and have their own accountability for their own actions. Okay. I do like the fact that this seems to recognize the existence of evil.
2: Okay, yeah.
0: You know, the fact that God allows the devil to exist, most of the time you you get into these arguments trying to get people – to even come to terms with the fact that the devil does exist. Right. One of the problems, though, I find is a ideological one in the fact that we don't seem to really have a good place in our thinking for what purpose, for, for there even being a purpose for a devil. How do you mean? Well, it's like the idea of suffering. Why do you allow suffering, God? In our mind, a preeminent existence is one that has zero suffering. And I get that. But then it, that implies that there's no value in suffering. Interesting. I think that's the part that falls apart. You know, if we look at, at what scripture explains or, or what what scripture articulates as paradise, There's no longer any tears. There's no crying, right? There's not suffering there. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I can go along with the idea that the preeminent form of existence is one that doesn't have suffering. But it's the second part of what I said that I can't go along with, which is that there's no value in suffering. Okay. There is tremendous value gained in suffering, just like there is tremendous value gained in weightlifting your muscles suffer under load. They literally fracture, they tear down, but it is through physical suffering that we get stronger. Just by way of how we are constructed as a, as a human being, as a physical being, physical Mm -hmm. suffering on a, on a minute level. I'm not talking about just going through and, and cutting somebody and be like, Hey, I know you suffering, but I'm making you stronger. (laughs) <laughs> as facetious as that is, yes, when that person heals, they technically heal stronger than they were before, right? You where, where like if you break a bone where that bone mends because of the added material there to mend it, it's actually uh, stronger. Same thing happens with a muscle. When muscle is torn down, which is what happens in the workout process and the healing part of that, we, we build muscle, we gain muscle, but that comes from the tearing and healing cycle, the injury healing cycle. Mm-hmm. Likewise, suffering breeds physical strength. I think that's part of the reason why God allows it. Okay. Well, taking that concept and extending it to evil, evil is not preferred, but that is not the same as saying that there is no benefit to evil. That there's no okay. purpose that can be served through evil. There are many things that can be achieved through evil. So okay. allowing evil to exist does not necessarily mean that you are, are an accomplice to it, nor does it mean that you're not powerful enough to do anything with it, nor does it mean that it doesn't serve a purpose that can be very useful. And that becomes important with the second part of that statement, which is that an all-powerful and loving God wouldn't allow the devil to exist. Okay. Why wouldn't he? Because he's loving. Which means what? <laughs> right? Which which really yeah, means, what, yeah. what is we have to determine what that means because in a Western sense, to be loving means that you create this environment that is like perfect for me, and nothing bad ever happens to me. Ever under any circumstance.
1: That's terrible parenting, though.
0: Even if I have my own free will, and even if I can exercise my free will in contradiction to yours, if you love me, you wouldn't even let me do that. Okay. Like, if you love me, you'd give me the freedom to be able to jump off a rock. But also, if you love me, you wouldn't let me jump off the rock and hurt myself. (laughs) Yeah. What do I do? Because if I stop you from hurting yourself, then you could, especially if you wanted to hurt yourself, that part doesn't even come into the equation. You just, you Mm -hmm. wouldn't let me hurt myself. Right. So if I stop you from hurting yourself what are you doing? I was trying to hurt myself. Or the charge becomes, what are you doing? You got to let me do, you're impeding on my free will. Let me be me. Mm-hmm. It's rife of problems.
1: Oh, for sure. And is contradictory in nature. Explain. Because you're, well, you're jumping back and forth, at least when the definition of what loving is, loving can't be interfering with your will and, not interfering with your will at the same time in the same place. Okay. I can see that. But my issue with this whole thing is I'm, you know, if we're looking at the whole list that these are proofs that God doesn't exist, it's an argument against, I mean, at best the character of God, but it doesn't say anything about his existence. So he either allows the devil to exist or isn't, an all-powerful God. So even in their false dichotomy,
0: he still can he exist. exists. He exists in both of them. Just he could exist as a non-loving God or a diminished in power God. Right, but but none of less. that. Yeah, he still exists,
1: which is a terrible argument if you're trying to prove that he doesn't. Because with the framework that you give us, he has to exist in both of your options.
0: Right, but this is you're spot on. The the reason that this will walk, I think, with most people is because it it's an emotional argument. Okay, that makes sense. As soon as we make it to to pain, suffering, and evil, it's going to immediately become emotional. Right, which is, I mean, that's why we're always saying it's the, the character of God
1: that's attacked,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because there's clear there's not the actual evidence against His existence. But if you can distort the character of God and he becomes something that you don't want to exist, then emotions charge your decisions. And it's easy to um, to disprove or to not believe in something that you hate, which I mean I think is logically inconsistent even in a, of itself. But, th- but that's the argument. It's a much more um, – it's a much easier way to get people on board, to get you to hate a thing. And then you
0: don't care whether or not it exists because you hate it. Interesting. Which definitely would put it back into the idea of emotions. Right. Exactly. That's fascinating.
2: Okay.
0: Pause for a minute. Pause. Click. Clack. All right. So,
1: what do you have for the next one? The next one is the God of the Bible is jealous of other gods.
0: I like this one. Okay. I like these ones that are like hugely problematic, especially when they get into attacks on the, the character of God. I I, I find them interesting because they used to be things that would trip me up to. Okay. And so when you see something like this, first off, this, again, as you pointed out earlier, keenly pointed out earlier, this statement alone does nothing to disprove the existence of God. What it would do is challenge whether or not you would want to serve a God like this.
2: Okay, interesting.
0: But it says nothing as to, to proving whether or not he does or does not exist. Right, right. That being said, let's look at what this really is, which is an attack on his character. Just like the last one. Exactly. Like the God of the Bible is jealous of other gods. All right. We've got two problems. One is the statement itself. I don't read in scripture where God is jealous of other gods. Okay. Even the verses stated here at 3414 states that he is a jealous God, but not that he's jealous of other gods. Okay. The second thing and the more problematic issue is the definition of jealousy.
2: All
1: right, now, what do you got
0: for me? Well, as human beings when we hear the the idea of jealousy, we immediately think of acts of jealousy that we've either heard about or experienced. Okay. Right, and typically, these are going to be negative experiences that are generated by a person's insecurity and refusal to allow someone else to to exercise their free will and do what do what they want all right right
4: mm-hmm. yeah and, and yeah.
0: typically the even that doing what they they want is normally looked at as what even what they're after is fairly um, non-problematic in and of itself. We're not upset at the person who is quote unquote mad at a spouse that's leaving them for someone else. We would have a problem if that person killed their spouse because they wanted to leave them for someone else, but not because they were (laughs) upset. Right. We we would Uh think that there should be a fair measure of being upset. And even if they were like, you know, don't leave me or not leave. You're not going to leave me as long as this doesn't turn violent. Right. We, there's a certain measure of understanding. Like, what did I do? Why are you trying to leave? What's going Mm -hmm. on here now? If there had been a violation or something like that, that's a totally different issue. But when we start hearing stories of jealousy, normally it's the person that's trying to get away. And of course it's going to, most of the times it's a male that's being depicted as being jealous. Mm -hmm. And it's something along the lines of, well, you're not going to leave me. And if I can't have you, nobody can. Right. So it's a forcing of that person's will on another, despite the even cause for why they're trying to do what they're trying to do. And typically it's looked at as though that even that exercising of that will is going way too far and is not even for the other person's benefit. It's normally from selfish motivation or wounded pride Mm -hmm. or insecurities that are generating this idea of jealousy. So, you know, the other idea is you got a stalker. Somebody is who are you talking to? Are you jealous of me or something? Yeah. So it's very rarely depicted as a positive thing because it tends to come from this emotional slate. One of the things Mm -hmm. though, that I think that we don't do is recognize the fact that as human beings, we have fallen emotions. And it is very possible for an emotional God that is divine, that is divinely perfect to have our emotions without the schism of them being perverted the way ours are. Now, okay. I said that wrong, it's very possible that we have his emotions, but they are, it's perverted through our fallen nature. So our understanding gotcha. of the emotion is also perverted. Okay. So what am I getting at? God's form of jealousy is not the same as ours. How do you mean? If you look at scripture, many times when God is talking about being jealous, it is also in reference to us worshiping other gods. Now that on the surface might seem like it is kind of what I was talking about earlier, like being in a romantic Mm -hmm. relationship and now it's two people that want your attention and one is saying, I don't like the fact that you're giving it to the other person. So I'm upset with you and I'm Mm going to destroy you. And I'm having a divine temper tantrum. (laughs) Right. That's kind of the the way it's played. But that would be an overly simplistic view. The way God's jealousy works is that he is. First off, an emotional being, who experiences the depths of his emotional palette from a genuine, unperverted perspective? Right, he experiences divine joy, mercy, love, compassion, kindness—all of that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Same goes with this idea of jealousy. It's not perverted the way that that ours is. But when God is jealous about something, it is typically because of the preciousness of the thing that he's concerned about and the fact that there's, a, there's an attempt being made to mar that thing, to destroy that thing that he, that it, he deser- that he deems as being extremely precious. And so his jealousy is from a perspective of protection. Okay. Interesting. So, so given like what we were talking about a moment ago, when it comes to like idolatry, when it, when it comes to serving other gods, It's not the war of how are you going to choose that God over me? As much as it is, you choosing that God is going to destroy you. And you are so valuable to me. I don't want to see you destroyed like that. It's not only going to destroy you, what that God will require of you will destroy subsequent generations as well. You're going to serve that God in acts of worship that will violate you because that God does not love you and is not trying to look out for your best interests. So God's form of jealousy is do not worship that because that will destroy you. Not don't worship that because it's not me. And I only want your love for me. And it's all about me and you're supposed to love me. Interesting. That's the way we tend to interpret from a Western perspective. Uh-huh. Like it's all this meism. So if you even look in scripture where the nation that God was actually married to committed spiritual whoredom and went after other gods, look at the acts of worship that were required. They had to they had to destroy themselves. They had to give their kids in sacrifice. Right? They had to commit human sacrifice, they had to enter into blood rituals. They had to destroy the family, which destroyed the fabric of society, right? They had to do a lot of things that were destructive and acts of worship to that God, things that God himself did not require. So when he steps in and goes, no, do not do that. I'm a jealous God. It is, I am so fiercely passionate and protective of you and of the love relationship that we're building that I do not want to see not only that relationship destroyed, I don't want to see you destroyed. That's crazy. And I am trying to step in so that that doesn't happen. His form of jealousy is over protection and love and concern, not out of spite or envy or insecurity. Interesting. Have we we
1: even talked about this before? I don't think so. Have we? No, because this this is a new one for me. I've not heard this perspective on jealousy before. This is, I like it.
0: It's a wild idea. It is. And I think that, um, I think the more we grasp that idea, the more tangible God's love for us can become. Like it helps to, it helps things make sense. Like, it's why the first thing, you know, I'm the Lord, your God, don't have, you have no other gods before me. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you're a tyrant? Because it's always about you? No. That's that's definitely how we interpret it, though. Exactly. Ironically, it's a little weird that nobody would go into a marriage relationship and go, I'm your husband. Have other husbands before me. Perfectly okay. I don't want to be seen (laughs) as as a jealous husband, okay? So... However other husbands you need to have to feel okay and get through your day or whatever, it's perfectly fine by me. You don't even have to come home to me at night. It's okay. Just as long as you say I'm your husband, and we're fine.
1: It's interesting, though, because like I said, I'm drawn to that marriage analogy. As you were explaining it, I was trying to think, you know, how that plays into to marriage. And I think it that even the idea of fidelity is one that we make selfishly, Right. Quite possibly. But, I mean, a lot of times, generally speaking, because, you know, I don't want my wife to cheat on me. And again, this is just for the analogy, because I don't want to be hurt, right? Because right. she promised me that she wasn't going to do this, and I don't want to get my feelings hurt. Okay, When, re- when really, if you look at the damage that promiscuity does from a, a sociological and psychological perspective, the whole idea that, that God has just from a societal perspective, because so many things that he does apply on, on multiple tiers that it's a, it's a protection for both parties because what exists outside of the marriage is not good for you. Right. It's damaging, not just to the family unit, but to the individuals that are indulging in promiscuity and those things It it, it is not healthy. So it's, it's interesting that there is a place that you can kind of even see that even though it's rare um, that the reason we, we should desire for the fidelity of our spouse is because,
0: I mean, you, you can do that and be selfless. Exactly, you can. I, I think J.I. Packer really uh, explained this whole idea of God's jealousy really well when he said that God's jealousy is not a compound of frustration, envy, and spite, as human jealousy so often is but appears instead as a praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. Divine jealousy is thus a zeal to protect a love relationship or to avenge when it is broken. I like that. I do too, because typically I think we see jealousy as barring me from being able to do something I want to do because of your own insecurity. Mm hmm. We don't see it as protecting something that you you deem supremely precious or being so motivated that you you want to avenge it when it is broken in order to restore it. Like God's jealousy would also provoke him to ask who hurt you. Mm -hmm. They did. I mean, we're going to have to talk about the fact that you were unfaithful but I'm also going to deal with <laughs> the fact of who hurt you because you still matter to me. Yeah. And
2: I think it, it uh, uh,
1: a, a true analysis of ourselves, like that's the kind of
0: person that we want to be in relationship with. I think you're right. I think, I think you're right. You know, I, I've been, um, I've been in a relationship before where I was saying to the girl, you know, I don't mind a little bit of jealousy. a okay. little, little bit of jealousy is good. I was dating a girl one time, and and she was like, "I'm I'm not jealous. I don't, I don't really get jealous." I was like, nah, "I don't think that's a good thing. You, you should be a little jealous." <laughs> Never, right? Not not a little <laughs> bit. You don't mind if anybody takes me. <laughs> Which wasn't the perspective as she was making the statement from. But, you know, because of the way it was phrased and because of how my mind works easily, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm going to step right into that <laughs> point. Um, but, no, as things developed, that, that tendency changed. And it hard to be, no, 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 I, you know, as her affections for me grew. Uh, yeah, I don't think I like the fact that you spend a little bit of time over here. Well, how do you think you get jealous? <laughs> Interesting. Oh, now it's a little more valuable to you. I I think that jealousy that is, I think, I think jealousy that is the byproduct of genuine love and not self-centeredness, but genuine love, which recognizes the preciousness of something And is oriented towards trying to protect that. And I don't mean just a relationship, but more so even the person. Mm -hmm. I think that type of jealousy is, is a good form of jealousy. I I would would even say, let's take it out of a romantic relationship. I think it's possible for a parent to be jealous of a child in that same context. Okay. I don't want you involved in this type of behavior because it's destructive. The only reason you would truly say that is because you love the child. You care for that child. You want to see the best for that child. So even mm-hmm. stepping in and providing a a measure of impedance to their, their desire to want to go here and do this, but you know you're doing it for their own good, I think is a healthy form of jealousy.
2: Okay, I can see that.
0: Now, I am in no way, because we got a lot of different listeners, man, to the show. <laughs> and, and and people, have, they come from different backgrounds. They have different experiences. I know with an audience the size that we have, it, there's no way that we're not talking to someone that has had some very unfortunate experiences with romantic partners that say they're jealous, right? And some of that leads to violence. Some of that leads to some very scary situations. I'm, I'm not suggesting that that form of jealousy is good at all. What I am suggesting is that there are two different types and that the most prominent type that we're familiar with is the toxic type. Okay. And that there is a non-toxic type. In fact, I, I almost wish it wasn't called jealousy because I think if mm-hmm. it had any other, ter- <laughs> if it had another term or label, we could put it under people would have no problem really accepting the concept of it, that we're talking about. But the fact that it's labeled as jealousy can create an emotional barrier for a person, especially if they've been the victim of toxic jealousy. And the same thing happens with the idea of love. If a person's been abused under the auspices of of, I love you, Mm -hmm. then being in a healthy relationship where there's genuine love expressed can still be a trigger for them because their definition has been so marred by the adverse experience that they went through. It doesn't mean love right. as a concept is bad, but what they experienced was a very toxic, perverted form of it, and right. that was bad. And I think
1: we would see that. I mean, just across the board, there's so many of so many emotions that we experience that get perverted and turned into something negative. Anger, for another one. Yeah, anger can be very, very uh, beneficial, especially if it if it moves you to protect someone or, or, or something. You know, being startled or like, I don't want to say fear, but it reminds me of that scene from uh, 300 when he's like, not fear, but a heightened awareness of things. Yeah. Yeah. All of these things, because God gave us emotions, can be utilized to our benefit, but you have to know what tools to use and when to use them.
0: Absolutely. Because if you need
1: to be using sandpaper and you use a hammer, you're
0: going to be in trouble. Exactly. You know, anger is normally the result of hurt. And should help us recognize when something is wrong. Let me take that back. Anger is normally a secondary emotion. Yes. And should, it it normally comes from feeling of a violation. But it's it's designed to help us see where something was wrong and to be motivated to correct that. Yes. Right? Like if you see somebody getting beat up, it might motivate you to pick up a rock and throw it upside somebody's head. To stop an issue.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You know, it's not necessarily wrong. I know now some people are upset because we're promoting violence. <laughs> I cannot please Can't everybody. Can't please everyone. No. Right, right. That will promote and, and me. I was, that will provoke me to anger. <laughs> That's <laughs> right? funny. And not the good kind. But
1: I, <laughs> I was going to say that there, there really ends up being the emotions become toxic on both ends of the spectrum. What do you mean? So... There's like a, like a sweet spot, <laughs> finding the sweet spot. I think we were talking about that the other day, mm-hmm. but anger overused into unnecessary abuses or jealousy overused. You know,
0: where those, did you just say unnecessary abuses? Did I say unnecessary abuses? You did. Cause now I, was, I immediately wonder what are the necessary abuses? Okay.
1: I, I think I'm, I'm, what I meant to say was unnecessary acts. Or okay. unnecessary violence, some, something along those lines. Okay.
4: <clears throat>
1: so you have those and we see those, but then I think we also have a tendency to entertain emotions on the lesser scale that, um, and and instead of hypercharged emotions that inflict damage to those around you, you experience an emotion that then drains the people that are around you. So whether it's that you're, your anger and you need dealt with or you're jealous and you need dealt with that doesn't actually the the misuse of it, that you're using it to control other people, right? Mm-hmm. When you use your emotions to control other people instead of propel you to act the way that you need to, you know, so then, Oh, well, we have to figure out why you're jealous and, and change these things or what's making you angry and we can change these things. And these are extremes and generalities, mm-hmm. but I think that that's more, more often than not, we function in those extremes, either in the shallow end or in the deep end, so all of these emotions get this negative um, connotations attached to them when there's really a place to use these emotions.
0: There isn't. I know we're, we're getting off topic here, but I also find it interesting that one of the marketed, mass-marketed benefits of changing our humanity is the idea of getting rid of what makes us weak. And what's often pitched as one of the most prominent things that make us weak is our tendency to have to behave or function off of emotion. Yeah. Super soldier program. Uh We want to get you to turn your emotions off. Just obey orders. You don't need to feel. Okay. If I say destroy that building, destroy the building. Don't be sitting there wondering how many people are inside. Could be mother and children, all of that. I don't care. Level the building. So we'll we'll put the switch in you so you don't feel anymore. You know, if if we're talking from a transhumanist perspective, we can elevate you past the need of having to deal with your emotions. You know, no more hurting, no more pain, no more worrying about why did they leave, no more having to feel abandoned, no more fear of rejection. We could turn all that off. And you can be so much better than what you are now. It's interesting how often human emotions are marketed as a weakness. When as images of God, we, we fail to remember that God has emotions. So emotion must be a very big thing and a very big component of what makes us human.
1: Right, and so, especially if they're trying to to tear it down, like you're saying, exactly. Because like, so what? So as you're explaining it, I'm like, so what would the the strategy be? Like, what are they hoping to avoid by stripping us of our emotions? And it reminded me of a a meme that I saw on social media that you should have never hurt the children. You know, something along the lines that it was all fun and games, but now it's not Democrat Republican. You know, this side, that side. It's it's good versus evil. You shouldn't mess with the children, mm-hmm. and it elicits this this emotion. Because you see this injustice being done. You know, the 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 torture and um mutilation that is happening to the young in America should have us upset. There should be an emotion that is incited that pushes us to do something about it and make change. If we don't have emotions, then they don't have to deal with that type of pushback. So glad you
0: point that out. It was exactly what I was gonna say. Being oh, emotionalist sweet. allows you To be controlled Mm -hmm. to a much higher degree. And the point of emotions is to move us into motion. That's why they're called emotions. Like it's supposed to elicit movement or response. Happiness should result in an expression of it, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. Remote happiness. If you're angry, it should result in an expression of that. You're moved to anger. If you are sad, it should express, it should promote an expression of sadness, right? All of our emotions are designed to actually propel us into some form of movement that we do. That means emotions are designed to produce action. They shouldn't be the precipice for it, but they're designed to help propel us into it. Interesting. If you turn that off, then I'm not propelled into action. That means yeah. when you're doing violations, I'm not propelled to resist. I'm not propelled to correct. I'm not propelled to stand up. I'm not propelled to, to to get involved at all. That's the what I think is the real goal. Because robots don't have emotions. Robots have program code. Right, right. And you can turn off a robot.
1: It's it's interesting. The movie Serenity touches on this a little bit. I know we're off topic, but uh, the the governmental structure was trying to release something in the atmosphere to do away with emotions, mm-hmm. and it spoiler alert, it worked, and the people Heck, stopped. No, fighting.
0: no, I was about to watch Serenity. I just had that <laughs> queued up. I got no, it that, you did. Yes, I did. I got it from my Blockbuster because I'm sure that's how old this, <laughs> this film is. <laughs> I just rewound it. <laughs> I was about to pop it in. <laughs> That's funny.
1: But it, it was this whole cover-up because the the issue with this substance that they released in the air is that it worked. It,
0: so the people stopped fighting. Yeah. Okay.
1: So they stopped fighting. They stopped stealing. Abuse or uh, you know domestic uh, it, um, instances went down. But then it didn't stop there. The people stopped going to work they stopped getting out of bed they stopped eating like all of their actions stopped
0: exactly
1: and and they killed this whole planet of people because they were trying to manipulate their emotions
0: and that I was wow. like that's
1: interesting yeah
0: and it's funny like when whenever i've gotten hurt like deeply hurt my default is to resort to turning my emotions off interesting Like the best way for me to navigate pain is to not feel. That's not healthy. (laughs) That's the person not hurting. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, that's. It's really not. It's, It's not a healthy thing. It would be like saying if I put my hand on a hot stove, the best way for me to deal with that pain is to turn off the sensation of me feeling my hand burning. Right. As opposed to me moving my hand.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's the wrong thing.
0: Exactly. And I, I think our society really promotes that, even at an early age. Boys don't cry. It's, it's interesting mm-hmm. to get the boys not to cry. I can imagine telling girls not to cry. But you get the young leaders. The, the boys are going to grow up to be men. And men, by a biblical standard, are designed to be leaders of the home. We're also supposed to be leaders in society. Getting us not to cry is a step in getting us not to emote. It's a form of getting us not to be active, right? So you instill passivity, you instill control from the very beginning by trying to get a person to turn their emotions off. Then under the second, uh, second tier of the satanic control matrix, when you start getting into satanic brainwashing, not only are we being taught that we don't cry, but then the films that are put in front of us with the the action stars and the people that we naturally want to emulate are going to be people who also can turn their emotions off. Like, I don't ever recall Arnold Schwarzenegger being scared in the movie Predator. Do you understand that you are (laughs) a spec ops person that has just seen people skinned alive that you knew As you went into the jungle looking for something, you find people that you knew, they're skinned alive. You don't even know how that happened. Then you realize that you're being hunted and you come face to face with a space alien that can disappear. And you're not even scared. Do you know what level of disassociation you have to be at (laughs) to just be. "Mm -hmm." okay? we'll we'll just deal with this. (laughs) I guess this happens. Like, psychologically, that's not healthy. Right. But we grow up with this impression that having emotions is weakness. So as a man, I will not be weak. I won't show emotion. And if I do show emotion, it will be negative emotion. It'll be anger. Right? It'll be toxic jealousy, toxic anger. Fits of rage because it makes me stronger. It doesn't make me seem weak, like happiness and joy, and certainly won't cry. Right. Like crying is huh. an emotional enema. You need to cry, it's part of the emotional <laughs> cycle.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Right? I don't know if you've ever had this is way off topic. I don't know if you've ever had a good cry. You ever had something where you weren't going to cry about, and then you do. And after you cry, you feel differently. Uh-huh. Drastically like in my case Drastically differently from how I felt before When I was like I'm not okay. going to cry And then I cry And ironically I, I feel Better in a certain sense Almost like at least I got that out now I don't cry a lot
2: No 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 <laughs> not, not really a crier
0: Okay But it, not, not getting too far into my own personal story I remember in my life Where I decided I wasn't going to cry anymore Okay. Like specifically, I'm not going to cry. And I, I was in a, a a situation, I was in a situation with one of my parents and I think we were, I was going to get disciplined for something. And in this particular situation, I wasn't really at fault, but I couldn't stop being disciplined for what they thought I had done wrong. And so the thing I said to myself is I'm not going to cry like I wanted to cry because it was like this isn't right but I wasn't going to show that level of of quote unquote weakness interesting and so I decided not to and I, I I locked my emotions up okay right so even extending forward as not being a quote unquote crier I had to teach myself or I don't want to say that God had to teach me but I had to relearn the fact that it's okay to cry. I just had to learn what is appropriate for crying for and whatnot.
1: That makes a lot of sense.
0: Especially as a leader. Some things you can't cry about. Right? Some things suck, but you got to be able to deal with the suck.
1: Right. You still have to execute.
0: Yeah. And then some things, okay. You you need to process that out. Yeah. You need to let get that out of your system. And the only way you can get it out of your system is to help in a healthy fashion is to cry that out. I agree. Well, we don't really teach that to our young men anymore. We don't. We don't teach how to. We teach
1: how to feel, but not how to process, and that's dangerous. That's like teaching people how to shoot and not how to aim.
0: Wow. Now somebody said they really like like uh, the analogies that come from Operation Red Pill, and I was starting to kind of puff myself up a little bit. Like, really, what were they? (laughs) I'm starting to think what they really are saying is they like your analogies you get really good analogies. <laughs> Thank you. No, that, that was a really good one. Thanks. Cause I think we speak the same way. If our words are like bullets, oftentimes we speak without aiming. Yeah. We, we just fire away, which again mm-hmm. causes all this emotional damage that then people not being taught how to process don't process well. And if that's happening, especially to a person that's being taught, don't cry there's all sorts of problems that we're going to get into. Right? Now, how we got off on this whole big thing dealing with God's jealousy, I'm I'm not sure. But that all of that being said, going back to the point that this person was making that the God of the Bible is jealous of other gods, that is an outright lie. He's not jealous of other gods, he's jealous for us. And I think it's very important to realize that who he's talking to that us is a, mm-hmm. is a a nation group that entered into a marriage covenant with him. Okay. Right. And this was, yeah, he, 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 this is going through Abraham and all of that. But by the point that you get to a nation, this is the, the people of Israel being under captivity of, uh, un, under Egyptian captivity and being delivered from that. And then being given these, these uh, statements. When you get to the the Ten Commandments, right? This is why they're out in the wilderness, or right, mm-hmm. this is this is a whole thing that's happened now. This is God stepping up, judging the gods of Israel that had oppressed His people, right? That demanded things of them that had violated them, that had hurt them, scarred them, marred them, and they were crying out, "Hey, God, where are you?" Right? And He steps up. He He corrects and avenges and fights for. His own. And then in a very safe space says, hey, we're going to enter into a special relationship. Now it's not a relationship I have to necessarily enter into, but I'm calling you my own. If this was Yellowstone, it'd be like, take the brand. <laughs> right? But 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 now you part of the community. You're you're under my brand. You're under my covering. That means mm-hmm. the enemies that are out there that seek to harm you, I too will deal with. Like we family now. And so those other spiritual entities that are after you, I'll protect. But then every relationship has a code that you got to adhere to. Yeah. And so this is no different. This isn't, again, God being jealous of other guys. This was God being jealous about the people who was in covenant with, the people that he had fought for, the people who had cried out to him, hey, help us. And he actually did in a very big way. Remember, these are the same people that got across the Red Sea when there was no way across. I mean, we're talking about... Dividing natural barriers, doing miracles for. Mm-hmm. Like you're my people, I'm your guy. Like this is the arrangement now. We can folk blood in, blood out. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. yeah. We we good. Yes. Uh, we blood all the way in. Then you get on the other side of the Red Sea. Man, you always pissing in our Cheerios. <laughs> Every time I want to have a little bit of fun with some of these other guys around here, don't look too bad. Here you step in. Oh, no, can't do that. God be faithful to me. Me, 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 God. Were you jealous? God's like, (laughs) if God spoke like me, what the hell? You weren't saying this three chapters ago. It was oh God, please get me out of Egypt. They beating me and making me make bricks out of straw. Now, all of a sudden, it's God, you're too oppressive because I want to go have a little fun over here.
1: So is that where beat the bricks off somebody came from? I've never heard that term. And you've never heard that? No, but I suddenly feel some sort of way about it. I don't think there's any way that it could tie all the way back, but like yeah, it might <laughs> that beating a slave so bad they can't even hold the bricks up.
0: That's hilarious.
1: <laughs> but you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I gotcha. I'm tracking.
0: And I, I think the 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 I think the more that we can come to terms with this the more we can really appreciate the heart of God towards us. I would agree. Which is not of, of an insecure God. Like God, God does not have insecurity. God is not over there fretting. God is not over there. Like pining over us in the sense of what am I going to do if they decide to worship another God? Right. That's a pagan idea. Exactly. God is looking at us. Like you mean way too much to me. Don't like you said a moment ago, you shouldn't have hurt the children. That's how God's looking at us. But at the same time, like if you know that there's a child molester in your neighborhood, you tell your children, don't go over there. Mm-hmm. And you get pissed off when they go anywhere over there. because yeah. you understand the inherent danger? Like, he just got some M&Ms. It doesn't seem like that big of a, an issue. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be walking them M&Ms, off, them M&Ms off for a long time. Mm-hmm. Stay away. Right. And that's what I think divine jealousy is like. I agree. But having said all of that, like we said at the very beginning, the biggest problem with this is that it does nothing to, to prove or disprove the existence of God. So I'd move on.
1: Right. So that brings us to number seven. All right. It says that there is there is no evidence that spiritual energy exists, so we can conclude that psychics, ghosts, and gods are non-existent. Otherwise, God has nothing to be made of. What would you say?
0: Uh, I'd say that's a rather convoluted statement. You know, okay. first off, the the idea that there's no evidence bears, the, bears asking the question, what type of evidence are we looking at? Empirical evidence? Um, no. Philosophic evidence? Yes. But we're not going to okay. limit ourselves just to empirical evidence alone because there are other types. And if we're after getting to the truth, then follow the evidence. Don't just follow a specific type. That's almost like saying there's no evidence in my gut. The X, Y, and Z is true, so it must not be true. Well, we're not living ourselves to to your gut or little hairs on the back of your head or furry little men that whisper in your ear at night. You know, we're looking for other sorts of, of evidences beyond that particular one identified form. So that that's the first issue I have with that. Uh, but then concluding that psychics, ghosts, and gods are non-existent. Nah, that doesn't add up. Because you still okay. can't explain empirical evidence then for that, like there's empirical evidence for for psychic activity. There's actual empirical evidence for for ghosts. They've captured the 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 manifestations of uh, I'm putting ghost in quotation marks, but at least a, of certain non physical activities. Okay, you know that you you've seen that that type of stuff actually captured, uh, and gods plural being uh in this sense you know it says and gods are are non-existent okay if that's true explain to me why the country that we live in is dedicated to all pagan gods i <laughs> just i don't get it you know since they don't exist why do we waste our time why mm-hmm. is this country dedicated to 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 Baal in both forms the male form and the female form the female form being the the queen of heaven of known in and other languages as columbia Right. which then is the district of Columbia. What are we doing? Since none of that exists. And then of course, if this mm-hmm. is going to go more towards a, uh, a biogenesis type of perspective, then the same person that's going to claim this better not say anything about evolution either.
2: Okay. we'll
0: or, we'll get there.
2: I mean, But that person evolution.
0: better not. But then the last part of that, otherwise God has nothing to be made of. That's a totally, totally different statement that reeks of, Intellectual snobbery and a complete Mm -hmm. um, lack of understanding of just what the concept and term God actually means. Right. 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 There has to be a being that is outside of the limitations of our physical world. And I'm not saying God is not made up of things, but it's it's obvious that he's not made up of. Things that you will find on the periodic table of elements, but to that extent, neither are thoughts and they seem to exist, even (laughs) crappy ones like this one. Mm -hmm. So if thoughts exist, which don't, which are not comprised of materials found on the periodic table of elements, but they're real, where do you get the notion that there can't be other things that are real, that are non-physical? This whole thing is just, it's a hodgepodge bunch of crap, in my opinion. No, I would agree.
1: Uh, I would attack it and just I mean, kind of like you did, but maybe the A other little way bit nicer. I, I don't know if it's nicer, but I mean, we just we just did our episode on scientism. Mm-hmm. This whole statement presupposes scientism because it says there's no evidence of spiritual energy. and the other thing that it does is I think it just it, unfortunately, because i I do believe that there are some atheistic thinkers out there that are. better at argumentation than, than what the pop atheist and the, the social medias get. And I think this is just an excellent example of the poor philosophy, poor, poorly formulated um, arguments of the pop atheist, because there's no evidence. So like you said, what type of evidence the spiritual energy exists? How are we defining spiritual energy? Right. You know, and then just adding psychics, ghosts and gods together in that making a conclusion, so you're presupposing that it has to be scientific evidence. So then, I mean, to to even make sense of it, you, you have to presuppose a lot of things that spiritual energy would then be non-physical, but he doesn't make any of the disti- distinctions in this statement. Right. And otherwise God uh, has nothing to be made of is interesting because Frank Turek, I can hear him in my head that he's our God is non-physical. So if you're just looking, like you said, at particular types of evidences, then of course there's not going to be a physical evidence for something that is non-physical. It just doesn't make any sense. So yeah, I just think it's it's poorly
0: constructed from from start to finish. I do find it interesting that demons aren't listed as non-existent, but ghosts, psychics, and
1: gods. Yeah, that that's interesting, huh? What do you do with that? I don't know. I don't know either. Is that all you got for seven? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Moving to eight. There is no such thing as nothing. For nothing to exist would cause it to be something. Creationists believe that God created the universe out of literal nothing. And this, it it sounds, well, okay, I'll let you go first.
0: No, 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 no. You're already flying off. Let me hear it. Okay, well. It
1: seems stupid, like just reading it, you're like, this sounds convoluted, but there really are like upper echelons of people discussing this and 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 really buying into this belief that by nothing, we mean something. And it, philosophically, there's no foundation for that. Nothing is nothing. You know, it's the term that we give to the absence of something.
0: There's like the song, I, I can't remember... Where I heard it from, but it basically was like, nothing from nothing leaves nothing.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, like, well, yeah. Well, the musician got it right. They seem to understand it.
1: Right. It reminds me a little bit of like darkness and light. Like you can't measure the darkness. Darkness is just the title that you give to the absence of light in a space.
0: And, and the same thing with the whole, cold. Same thing with cold. That's what I was going to say.
1: Yeah. So cold isn't really a thing. It's just the definition that we assign to something that's lacking heat. Mm -hmm. So in those definitions, you could say, well, cold doesn't exist, you know, and darkness doesn't exist, but it does. Like, it's just a, it's a, a game of semantics and mental gymnastics that you have to do. And it, for me, it defies the, uh, the first law of logic, the law of identity, because you're confusing literally something and nothing, like polar opposites. In order for nothing to be nothing, according to logic, it has to be separate and different from something. And that's where it finds its identity. He's just switching them all willy-nilly, thinking that it actually makes an argument, and it doesn't. Nothing
0: is nothing. What do you got for it? Nobody loves me. Well, that's somebody. That's not bad It's about the same argument isn't it Yeah no that's good This (laughs) I tell you what man if there are upper echelon people That are arguing this type of nonsense Mm -hmm. They ought to get their money back (laughs) Okay fair enough I mean because even if we take this back to To a physical world Saying that that a vacuum which has nothing in it has something in it would be preposterous. Okay. Right? The vacuum of space. Not a vacuum of space. There's stuff in there. Well, there's nothing in space. That's why we call it empty space. Well, if it's empty, that means there's something there. Even if right. the just... something is is emptiness. That emptiness <laughs> is something. Do you understand how whacked out crazy that sounds?
1: Yeah. And I think this is a good example of why learning the laws of logic gives you such a, a foothold in argumentation Mm -hmm. because not all bad arguments are illogical, but it, it allows you to avoid a majority of the bad arguments. And you don't need to end up down this philosophic train, you know, with people that have a bunch of. Letters strung after their name or whatever. All you need to know is the laws of logic. You can't in order. What's he say here? Um, For nothing to exist would cause it to be something is immediately. Like I said, it's a violation of the law of identity. Exactly. If it's nothing, it's nothing. If it's something, it's something. They can't both be the same thing. And that's all you need to know.
0: I like how it's quickly, quickly turned up a notch. To try to discredit the idea of creationism. Yeah. Huh. But coincidentally, evolutionism is allowed to skate.
1: It is. Wait till you get the last the last one is about evolution. We ain't so. got there yet. <laughs> we have not got there yet.
0: But it but, but follow this logic though, just to, to point out the absurdity. So evolution. Evolutionary thinking teaches, or at least um, conventional evolutionary theory teaches, that everything came about by some form of randomness, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But can you have true randomness?
1: Is this a philosophic question?
0: It it is, but it's also, um, I think it's a mathematical question as well. Okay. But it, almost every instance of randomness that we know of is programmed and human contrived. Mm-hmm. But we still say it's random, right? But then we attribute intent to the laws that were supposedly produced randomly. Okay, like physics, the laws of nature produce this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for something to be produced, in in that sense, or or let me let me take that back because there's a causal nature to how things are produced but typically when produced is being used it's being used as an intentional outcome Mm
2: -hmm.
0: like nature designed it this way right i'm like nature can't design because nature's impersonal so if something came up random but we're also going to say that the random things produce some measure of intentionality that doesn't hold either But that's not being attacked with this whole idea. The only thing that's being attacked is creation ex nihilo. Which is the idea that God created, not made as we're used to doing because we have raw substances available. But that there weren't elements on the periodic table. Like there was no periodic table. Right, right. And God created all of that. Well, what would you say exists if there's no periodic table?
2: Nothing
0: Not a thing around But wouldn't it have to be the same thing that happened Before the Big Bang
1: (laughs) It would be And it's funny because we attribute it to a miraculous event Right Mm -hmm. And I mean an atheist Or an evolutionist Specifically an atheist Doesn't have a claim for how Everything came about Like we know that it had a beginning but but what was before that, and it's interesting. Like, but t- to my point, we call it miraculous, and then they try to explain it
0: non-miraculously. But they always start with the miraculous beginning, the Big Bang. Yeah, right, right. Like out it, of it, nowhere, it's so, this just happened. But it's so convoluted. Again, just to just to kick over this this poor bucket of milk, so to so to speak, so we can cry over it as well. <laughs> The Big Bang started where all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there was a, a huge boom, right? Mm-hmm. And that created, that led to the formation of laws of physics and everything we know now, right? Yeah. No, you're lying. Okay. Well, if it happened out of nowhere, nowhere is somewhere. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, Big Bang doesn't even hold up.
1: No, that's fair. That's fair.
0: You start applying this I, a lot of places. Just like, come on, stop it. Stop right, it. It doesn't work. No, nah, not at all.
1: That dog won't hunt. What dog? <laughs> there is no dog.
0: Yeah, there's no dog. And no dog is some dog.
1: So I've got a bunch of pets then, apparently. Apparently so. Because <laughs> having no pet is a pet.
0: Oh, man. Hey, this is actually okay. kind of where our society is at now. When you start messing you know there's um you know that movie Fantasia? No? With Mickey Mouse? You do the musical Fantasia? The like Club where Queen? he
2: like the mops and stuff? Yes. Okay.
0: I'm aware of it. Oh, thank you. I was gonna be very upset and disappointed if you didn't know. No, anything. I'm aware. I'm aware. All right. So basically he's messing with the with the uh engines of creation. Okay. Right? And he gets everything gets out of whack. You can't handle it all. And all sorts of chaos breaks loose. Okay. That's where our society is at right now. We we've messed with logic to such a point that now we are dealing with nonsensical issues and we're treating them as though they're lofty ideas. Like this is literal, literal foolishness to where we are becoming so confused that we transpose terms. And we have to be able to do that in order to allow things like, Are you looking at me like, don't say it, (laughs) say it, go ahead. Well, you got to do is to let like the trans movement happen. Uh Uh-huh. Right. You have to, you have to first disabuse people of the idea of absolutes. So there's no fixed firm positions, whether in society, whether in logic, whether in people's minds, what have you, everything's relative and moving around. Then Mm -hmm. once, since things are not more down and fixed, we can start moving them. It would be kind of like if you could take a bridge support structure out of the ground that it's that it's embedded in and just start freely moving it, the bridge is going to collapse. Mm-hmm. Right? It won't even take a long. You won't get <laughs> to move the support structure very far and the bridge right. will collapse because it, 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 it can't support itself under the weight. That's what's happening well, to I, our society.
1: Well, I was even thinking like moving a chair if someone goes to sit on it. Mm-hmm. you don't even have to move it all the way out from underneath them. You just move it from where it was supposed to be when they decided to sit down and you get America's Funniest Home Videos. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, until it happens in society. And now it's not so funny.
0: Now, now it's sad because mm-hmm. this is where we got to. When we started doing situational ethics, when we started actually ignoring the God of the Bible, when we started trying to, to separate creation from the creator, it leads to to nonsensical statements like this. And not just statements in and of their own right, but statements that are supposed to be lofty ideas that disprove the existence of the creator in the first place. Yeah. Like, it's BS. But anyhow. Yep. No room for it. I digress. What's your next one?
2: <laughs> next
1: one? Uh, this one bothers me. It's This isn't a finely tuned world created with us in mind. The sun gives you cancer. Most of the water is undrinkable and genetic disease runs rampant.
0: What you got? Hmm. That's well, first off, it's not the way I thought they were going to go. I thought they were going towards efficient, any efficiency. Okay. Normally the argument I hear trying to disprove uh, the fine tune nature. Okay. But I would argue to even be in a position to observe what the sun does, places us squarely in the Goldilocks zone, which is such a narrow band for us to exist in, that there is no way that happens accidentally. In fact, I would argue that the statistical chances of that happening randomly would be outside the statistical limits of probability.
4: Mm -hmm.
0: That, That would be the first thing. The other thing that I would I would note is that this statement tends to disregard one of the most important biblical doctrines established. What's that? Original sin and the fact that we live in a fallen creation. Okay. Now, looking at this statement through the lens of fallen creation but or a fallen world, but not attributing fallenness to it and thereby trying to look at it as though it is perfect, would be a mistake. Okay. Sun does give us cancer now, but we're in our fallen state. There's no telling what it what it gave us before. It also helps to produce vitamin D, by the way. But right. we'll we'll ignore that for now. Most of the water being undrinkable that's due to large part to the corrupt actions of humanity and to the suppression okay. of technology that could make it drinkable. Mm-hmm. Which is also due to some of the actions of humanity. Right. And then we're talking about we have genetic diseases that run rampant. Okay, Looking at some of these diseases. That are manufactured. I I was going to go there, but yeah, I mean, you could go there uh, easily and and (laughs) run with that. But I was going to say, when you look at viruses and how they behave, even as nasty as they are, there is such an incredible measure of design and understanding and virus behavior. Mm-hmm. that you almost couldn't even argue that it wasn't fine-tuned. That's just a virus.
2: Yeah.
1: I I don't like the argument because, one, the sun gives you cancer. There's a lot of studies that are coming out that it's actually sunscreen that gives you cancer and mm-hmm. not the sun itself. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then you look at the food that we eat. I mean, that's it's a whole can of worms. I think it's a very quick assumption that the sun is the thing that's causing us cancer. When people have lived out in the sun without cancer being a major problem in years past. So there's a, there's an issue there. Most of the water is undrinkable is an interesting argument because you're assuming without saying that the only purpose of water to exist on the planet is for humans to drink it.
0: Good point. That's not
1: necessarily true. Right. Because water that's undrinkable for us isn't necessarily useless to other animals. Right. And I wouldn't even argue that the amount of drinking water that we have available is insufficient to hydrate the human beings that we have. So it's a weird assumption that the only reason water exists on the planet is to drink. And because most of it isn't drinkable, then, oh, that must not be fine-tuned. It's overlooking so many nuances of
0: It is all of it. Now, it is saying that... that- the world wasn't created with us in mind the other problem i got with it is that it acknowledges that the world was created so by whom and for what
2: okay that's I mean, it's, interesting
0: it's, yeah it's not arguing whether or not the, the world was created but it's saying it wasn't created for us huh because there are things that this does so playing that game was it created for the animals
4: Because That's the sun causes
0: heat death to certain animals, scorching right. them going to Death Valley. They try to get away from the sun. So was it not created for them? If we're talking about nature as a whole, not just the sun, what are we doing with storms and other destructive elements of nature? Mm-hmm. That de- that destroys life. You know, like you pointed out again, water being drinkable. There are other organisms that are able to consume contaminated water.
2: Yep genetic diseases
0: are not relegated just to humanity animals get diseases as well
2: right
1: it's it's interesting to me that this presupposes a way that it should be so there is like a philosophic paradise or oughtness to the universe that you can even recognize when things are off and I think that alone sets us up to recognize that oh if cancer is destructive, that there's a way to exist outside of cancer. So there's a way that it was actually designed to function. If beings are all becoming dehydrated because of a lack of water, then there's a purpose for water and there's a reason that you should be here and you should be drinking it, which shows evidence of design. And if diseases are not supposed to run rampant like you're claiming that they are, then there's an oddness to the stability of biology. So for each Of these arguments, it's like Frank Torek says, you have to sit in God's lap to smack him in the face. You're presupposing fine-tuning. And even you have the entire concept to say which is good and which is bad based off of the creative hand of God to even make arguments against it.
0: Exactly. So this doesn't walk. It does. You ready for the last one? Oh, with much anticipation. (laughs) Evolution is obviously true. Get out of here. I don't want to hear anything else. Period. <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's no more parts of this, this statement that you can read to me. Because <laughs> the statement didn't yeah. prove itself. It just said this is obviously true. Right. So, creationism is obviously true. Now what?
1: Uh, yeah, what, what do we got now? So It goes on to say that we are classified as an ape species. That means that we weren't created by magic and are somehow superior to the animal kingdom. No creator, no God.
0: Okay, they win. (laughs) You just give up at this point? No point in arguing this. But since we're here to actually argue. (laughs) First problem is with the emphatic statement that, that evolution is obviously true um okay when, when there are more things that point to the fact that evolution is such a an intellectual fraud mm-hmm. that there's no way that that we really are going to run around saying that that is true unless you just okay. want it to be true
1: right can i can i jump in here real oh, quick by, before by you means. before we go to the next part taking the whole creationism versus evolution debate off the table, whatever, if we're just applying logic here, evolution is obviously true. And the word obvious has to do with observation. And never before in the history of mankind have we actually observed evolution happening. So whether or not you want to think that it's true, this statement that it's
0: obviously true. All right. I got to push back a little bit. Okay, push back. Just, just on the last part of what you said. Okay, we have talked about in other episodes that there are two major forms of quote unquote evolution. Okay. All right, micro and macro, right? Uh huh. Okay, so we've seen micro quote unquote evolution, which would be adaptive change. I think it's a poor name. Okay, but just gotcha. for the sake of of argument, no, we've seen mm-hmm. adaptive change. What we have not seen or what we have not observed to to use the language you keenly pointed out is macroevolution. Okay. We haven't seen the type of proposed evolutionary changes that would lead to a biogenesis event that could that could actually be used to explain the creation of new species. We haven't seen anything like that. What we do see are small variations that are more accurately described as adaptive changes. Within a mm-hmm. species. Right. but We don't have Bubbles the chimp for Michael Jackson turning into. I was going to use another family member from the Jacksons. That was going to be me. But he's still <laughs> Bubbles. Right. 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 He didn't turn into a human being. He's not walking out the street filing taxes. Mm-hmm. We don't see brand new species being created. That That's what I was going to point out. Okay. Now, that's a good point. I'm glad that,
1: that you clarified that. But yeah, so macroevolution, which is the evolution that he's or that this argument is is addressing is not observable, so it can't be obvious.
0: Love that detailed uh, assessment of that. the okay. next problem is going to be we're classified as ape species, but okay, taxonomically speaking, from we're classified under a taxonomical system that was derived by someone who who was a, a proponent of evolutionary thinking.
1: Mm-hmm. And if you talk to anyone in the field of species classification, it's not cut and dry. It's not black and white. Mm. There's all these bleed overs and then it's how are you classifying based on what criteria? And I mean, it is just it is muddy water, to say the least, to really go into that.
0: Now, so, I, I do like the next part of the statement. OK, this means we weren't created by magic. This is true. We were not created by magic. It was not the spiritual energy that, that, um, what's the right word I'm looking for. It wasn't the spiritual energy that fueled the acts of the Magi, which are the Babylonian sect of pagan sorcerers is where we get the term magic and magician magistrate, all of that stuff comes from the front. Okay. that root Magi. It wasn't hereditary priesthood practicing some form of pagan sorcery that produced the creation. And that's exactly what what biblical creationism teaches. The spot okay. on right there. I got to give him a plus. Now, being somehow superior to the animal kingdom. That's a totally different issue. Mm-hmm. I do wonder what this person eats. What if they're a
1: carnivore or a vegetarian?
0: Does it matter if they're carnivore or vegetarian? Okay. If you're a carnivore, what makes you better than the animals? Why are you eating them? I don't know. Well, you shouldn't be, right? Okay. You're not better than the animals, so what are you doing? But let's say, let's play it the other way and say you're a vegan or whatever. What makes you better than the plants? That's a good point. You shouldn't be eating them either. So what in the hell do you eat?
2: Huh, that's interesting.
0: All I'm pointing out is that on some level, this person, whoever wrote this, does believe there's a period or something.
1: Because they're eating something. That's a good point.
0: I wouldn't have picked up on that one. I like that. Thanks, man. Now that all that leads to no creator, no God, I don't get
1: no, because even though the, I don't agree with it, there are some Christians that believe in evolution. There are. So the idea itself negates a creator, but it the argument about evolution for him to jump without any ties to no creator just doesn't make any sense.
0: This is rife with all sorts of issues.
1: Mm-hmm. But this is what's getting paraded around as solid argumentation for why you shouldn't believe in God. And not
0: a single one of these has given us pause to go, you know what? I hadn't considered that. Even apes recognize a certain hierarchical system within their social structure. Uh Uh-huh. We're apes. I mean, we we at least are going to be superior to something.
1: And I know we keep going, (laughs) keep going back somehow superior there's lots of metrics that we could use for that somehow. It's so vague. You mean technologically, the the uh, the population count? You know, I mean, you could go like, down right. any of them. Somehow we actually are superior by a bunch of different metrics that you want to use.
0: It's, I haven't seen a tiger write the Gettysburg Address. Right. I haven't seen a snake do Shakespeare. Hmm. I've never seen... A great white shark. I, I ain't never seen one ever, except what. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't see them contemplating the moral rectitudes of decision making, right? Obviously, we think on a different a different scale. That's not to say that we're the most intelligent being per se. I mean, shoot, orcas are super intelligent. Mm-hmm. So are ants, for that matter. They're just intelligent in a different fashion. Yeah, you know. They, I think they say that. Uh, or. I said ants, but I think what I mean are bees. One of the two, either ants or bees, use trigonometry to work their way backwards from point when they get to a certain place to work their way back to where they started. I think it's bees. Okay. I think you're right. But we would say that bees are inferior to us because they're smaller. Mm -hmm. You're right. You know, how, how a person is measuring this is super important. And to their point, the only reason that the Bible would place man above animals is because the Creator values man above animals. Yes, I think that's the uh, a, a very important takeaway. Mm-hmm. That's a
2: good it point. would
0: seem that if we're going with the evolutionary approach, that Mother Nature doesn't give two squirts mm-hmm. about these various things because she'll destroy them in a storm quickly. Uh huh. But that's not going to be argued either. It's just got no juice. Pretty much, it's just uh, it's a poor argument. But what I do find fascinating is that all of that setup was done just to get at the fact that God doesn't exist. We had to go through all of that so that we could have another rung to stand up and smack God in the face and be like, "You're not real." Which would make me wonder, who are you smacking? Yep. If God's not real, why why so much effort to disprove his existence? Yeah,
1: because you don't see that with the Easter Bunny or with Santa Claus. No. Those that don't think that it's real just go, oh, whatever. I mean, it's ties to paganism is something completely different. But I've not seen a single book written on how, I don't know, the the who. Well, not the band, but like the who from Dr. Seuss. Never really existed. It's just—it's a lot of effort to put in to something that you don't think is real. Mm-hmm. I agree. It reminds me a lot of uh, what's his name, Johann Goethe. He has this quote that says, uh, "Truth has to be repeated constantly because error is also being preached all of the time, and not just by a few, but by the multitude and the press." Encyclopedias in schools and universities everywhere air holds sway, feeling happy and comfortable in the knowledge of having majority on its side. Mm. That's a heck of a statement. It is, but that's why we're constantly coming against these. That's why the bring the rain show segment is important. We have to constantly repeat truth because the lies are just out there everywhere.
0: You know, I mean, here's the deal. We, we've got to be able execute like a well-oiled military operation when we're asked questions you know the mm-hmm. scripture gives us the mandate you've got to be able to answer give, give an answer for the hope that lies within you right mm-hmm. because what you're really doing is expressing to someone why they can trust and have that same hope and if you can't do that you know if Did you see what I see? Yeah.
1: Huh. Talk about not being able to execute right.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. But yeah, if, if we fumble all over ourselves and we we stumble, we're not able to give a consistent or coherent answer. We're not able to discern where the foolishness is or the deception. We can't point out where, this particular idea is not only faulty, but the ramifications of following out to its conclusion, when you can't really make sense of the constant whirlwind of confusion that we're we're put in in this society that expels the very notion of Jesus Christ out of almost every corner it has control over, and gives satanic, luciferian ideas as substitutes. You know, that gives junk for nutrition that constantly obfuscates the truth, if you can't answer those questions and lead people to some measure of solid footing and you're just fumbling, like, I I don't know what to say, then what it ends up sounding like is this. That is the sound of a unit that is undisciplined, that's disorganized, that's operationally ineffective. Things that we are not supposed to be. Which means we've got to be able to answer these questions, and and here's the tough thing. Here's what you really don't want to say to a person because it really steps on the toes. But the real thing is that these are basic questions. These really mm-hmm. aren't sophisticated questions, right? Mm-hmm. It's like when right, you, right. when when you're uh, I'm sure you've I'm sure you either have experienced this or you know someone. That's experiences, but you got a little boy that that goes up to his dad. He's like, teach me how to fight. Right. There are some basic things to Mm self-defense. Like this is not the judo chop move. This is just a basic little shove. So we can't be pushed off. No pun intended by little shoves. When we're supposed to be actual warriors. Right. We're supposed to actually be able to address these issues. You know, we've got to be able to realize that atheists today aren't smarter than the rest of us. Now, yes, they have, in some cases, more sophisticated arguments. And in those cases, yes, it may take some additional training or some, it may take disciplined approach to be able to handle those more sophisticated questions, but in general, the pop athe- atheist, the the memer, if you will, for some reason, as soon as I say memer, I want to put Justin in front of that.
1: <laughs> Justin Memer.
0: I, I don't know why. Seems appropriate. That's probably a meme. Anyway, you know when you, when you're dealing with the the pop atheist or the uh, the the non-biblical memer, they're going to. Try to present arguments that are less Sophisticated than what you would get in collegiate Debates Mm -hmm. And those are the type of people that most of us are going to run Into we're going to run into the person That's probably got more emotionalism Fueling their their debate or their Argument than they do Intellectually satisfying Rational reasons You get what I'm saying yeah yeah I gotcha and that Means that most pop atheists They don't have all the answers to life, despite what their their, uh, presentation would suggest. You know, we've got to realize that we're being bullied into believing cleverly worded arguments that lack intellectual integrity. In essence, we're being shot at. Which means, hello, you're in a war. Mm -hmm. There's always that one person that gets off the plane. They're somewhere new. They're in a hostile environment. But it doesn't look hostile, right? Mm-hmm. They just got off yeah. the plane. They're in fresh greens. And they're like, ah, uh, this is a regular airport. This is pretty good. They haven't got really deep in country yet. Uh-huh. And they got to have themselves a short sure enough safety briefing. Right? You got to get the gunning sergeant over to talk to you for a minute. Hey, let me holler at you for something. Private. PFC Santiago, is it? <laughs> yeah, let me holler at you for a second, son. And inevitably... This is what you end up hearing. You are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora, ladies and gentlemen. Respect that fact every second of every day. Out there beyond that fence, every living thing that crawls, flies, or squats in the mud wants to kill you and eat your eyes for jujubes. If you wish to survive, you need to cultivate a strong mental attitude. You got to obey the rules, man. I love the fact that he says you need to cultivate a strong mental aptitude. Uh huh. The onus is on you,
1: right? It's nobody else's responsibility. You have to do it exactly,
0: and that's a wake-up call for some people. Mm-hmm. It's not even allowed to be left up to the managing the managing directorate. Right. You have to cultivate this attitude and it's not based on your feelings to cultivate right, right. something takes intent and it takes time. It takes effort. It takes consistency. Mm-hmm. And that's what you have to do in this hostile war environment. If you're going to survive. Now, if you want to be a casualty number on the report, keep doing you boo boo. <laughs> but if that's not your goal, you got to obey the rules. Right. The Christopher, rules what's the first rule they got to obey?
1: The first one is to educate yourself. You have to know your war doctrine. This is how you develop the strong mental aptitude. So one of the things that scripture tells us is that it's plainly seen that God exists.
0: Obviously.
1: <laughs> That's it. That's it. I don't have to say anything no, else. Nothing else at all. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> But Paul tells us in Romans one twenty, says for ever since I think you mentioned this uh, scripture earlier in the episode. Yeah, but for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, so that they have no excuse for not knowing. And the no excuse always kind of hits hard for me. Why? Because because we teach that oh God is a loving God and you know and He is and He's gracious and all these things, but to come right out and be like
0: no excuses, it's it's a little bold. No, no, I but, hear I, you. but I like it. Every time I hear that, it reminds me of of getting in trouble with my my folks when I was a kid. Okay, you know, it'd be like why'd you do that, and you know, there's no way out. But once well, my folks would always sit down before uh, I had to suffer corporal punishment they would have a conversation with you. Okay. Right. And and the goal of this conversation for them was to get to the bottom of things and to actually maybe impart some measure of wisdom. The goal of the conversation with me was to somehow navigate this conversation <laughs> in such a way that I evade trouble, particularly a whooping. Okay. Most of the time it didn't go too well for me. I think I may have <laughs> got one or two on the books of a success. And you know, when you have that success, you turn around, you're like, how did it work? I wish I could tear this apart. I need to understand this better. Because it didn't work the next time. But typically, there'll be a time we're sitting there and we're talking. And one of my dad's favorite sayings was like, you know, you willfully disobeyed. I was Uh like, that sounds so much worse than just regular disobedience. (laughs) You willfully did it. You wanted to do this. Why'd you do it? And I would always have this involuntary reaction of, hmm. I think it's what happens (laughs) under pressure. You know, your shoulders go up to your ears. You make that weird sound of, hmm. (laughs) This is my escape strategy. Baffle them with weird sounds. Right? All right. So then my dad would normally go down this list of all the stuff we do for you. And you have no excuse for why you behave in such a way. Okay. And I normally wouldn't have a justifiable reason. (laughs) Like, no excuse. (laughs) So when you hear God saying this, it's like, oh, you about to get your ass. I'm sorry. You about to get.
2: (laughs) Oh, it's like. (laughs) Oh, the the
1: trauma, the deep seated trauma (laughs) is being uncovered right now.
0: Well, God says you have no excuses like, ah, yeah, you're going to get whooped. Like, there's no way. There's no recourse. There's no argument. There's no. But God. There's no, see what happened was. It was cloudy that day and I could not tell that you had created everything. (laughs) Right, right. You have no excuses whatsoever. Like it's that moment that gives you bubble guts. Right. But what's interesting. Go ahead.
1: Go ahead. No, finish what you were saying.
0: I was going to say, normally what what that's followed up by is a reckoning. And it's one of those reckonings you can't get out of mm-hmm like if i could just i mean as soon as you hear you ain't got no excuse for what you did I, let's what can i can we rewind like give me another chance oh we are past second chances my friend you, you know what it reminds me <laughs> what is that it reminds me all of a sudden of the
1: mummy when you've got benny <laughs> okay and like the elizabeth wise character she i can't remember what she catches him doing but she's like little people like you will always get their comeuppance and he's
0: like Really? Like he didn't. Know. <laughs> but he's like, hold on, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah, nobody exactly. told me that. <laughs> I just been trying to play the game. <laughs> right. So this is like you have no excuse. Really? Like none? Wait, I got wait a three minute. more in my back pocket. <laughs> like these have got to play. Oh,
1: <laughs> uh, that's funny. That's great. But it's also interesting to me that most people stop reading. that section of scripture. But Paul goes on to write, he said, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools. I think we witnessed that in these 10 quote unquote proofs that God doesn't exist. I would agree. It's crazy how accurate scripture is.
0: Right? Although scripture I would awesome. wish they would have said, you know, you're going to run into people that are coming up with at least 10 reasons that God doesn't exist.
1: He wanted to be that. Yeah, that that, that was what on. I was
0: looking for. <laughs> I, I didn't get that. It's not to say it's not accurate. I'm just saying what I was looking for.
1: Oh, that's funny. But scripture also warns us of God's wrath. I told you, you were going to get your comeuppance. Right, right. Paul tells us just before that in the same letter, he says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And we see truth suppression all of the time. Yeah. You don't want to play that game. Scripture also anticipates, and we use the scripture a lot, but it just it's so accurate, the lies about God. Paul writes in his first letter to Timothy, that the spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. It, I mean, there's, there's no other, I mean, other than just pure stupidity for people to adhere to, to things like this. Cause it just doesn't make sense.
0: You know, I, t- I tell you what though, in looking at that scripture from first Timothy, I believe it was first Timothy, excuse me, four, one, I find it interesting that before the people are deceived, Mm -hmm. they have to first abandon the word of God. That's a good point. That's a willful dereliction. Right. They have to Mm -hmm. decide. I'm not, I'm not about this no more. Right. Which gives, and then it allows them to go follow deceiving spirits.
2: That's a good point.
0: It wasn't even that they were just deceived. Oh, well, okay. I turned my back on God and I just happened to get deceived. The way this seems right. to paint it, not only did they abandon their posts, right? They decided mm-hmm. to go after demons, after deceiving spirits. Or the way scripture yeah. put it, they played the whore.
1: Right. It reminds me a lot of what happened in World War II. I'm sorry, there were people playing the whore in World War II? (laughs) Oh, I'm sure there were. Okay. (laughs) But no, the fact that Hitler kind of overplayed his hand. He took a lot of ideas like eugenics and and racism and whatever, and then kind of ran them to the nth degree. And the whole world was like, oh, that's, that's what this is about. But it's interesting that the enemy is so deceitful that they try to, Intrad- the enemy tries to introduce these ideas on a lesser scale, right? Mm-hmm. That somehow we think that that even though it's the same train, if we get on here, it's not going to be bad. You know, we talk about a, uh, a slippery slope or whatever. I think we can quickly, or a keen mind can look at the atrocities that happened um, in World War II and other places as evidence of what this line of thought actually takes you to. Okay. It's not just 10 things to disprove that God exists because disprove if you buy into that deception that God doesn't exist, has you abandoning the faith and then you follow these deceiving sp- spirits and the next thing you know this train of thought is taking you to Auschwitz.
0: Hmm. And then people are and, looking and around have, going how we get here.
1: Exactly. Exactly. But we can't be that naive. We're in a war. We can't just sit in a foxhole and hope that, that it just ends and we don't actually have to do anything. We've got to shoot back and make sure we're shooting in the right
0: direction. I got to make a quick disclaimer because we were talking about Auschwitz for a moment ago, and I said, you know, you look okay. around going, how do we get here? Not, I'm I'm not saying that in a way to try to uh, denigrate the, the, the victims of the Holocaust, saying that, you know, the reason they ended up in Auschwitz was – Because they um, were ignoring, you know, godly principles or things like that. Just as a metaphor, we could end up in some very dark places because we buy into dark thinking as a culture, as a group.
3: And inadvertently,
0: that that not only leads to our eventual destruction, it victimizes people in the process. Hence what you get, you know, at Auschwitz. Right, right. It's kind of interesting, though. Auschwitz also had, I believe, on their doors, abandon all hope. Anyone who enters here. Really? Yeah. And I think it's interesting. We're called to give an answer of the hope that we have.
1: That's a good point.
0: That hope that you're fine, that they're saying you got abandoned is what happens when you turn your back. On on the creator, God. And you Mm -hmm. embrace the subsequent thinking that will ultimately lead to that type of destruction. Right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then it's interesting, man, that within that, it takes an outside force to come in to try to set things straight. It takes what you could consider to be an occupying force. Right? For us... Obviously, since we're using the World War II metaphor, you know, you've got all of the countries that participated in D-Day. Mm-hmm. But in a spiritual sense, it takes a, a, an equally impressive force, which would be the church. In order to take ground. And this is important because you're in a battle. It's most battles are always over achieving some sort of supremacy land, mm-hmm. air, sea, you're always trying to take those resources and you're trying to have total control. The U.S. war doctors always try to get air superiority, get control of the air, then you can get control of the ground. Okay. But whether it's in the air, whether it's on the ground, whether it's at sea, whatever incremental advancements you make, you do everything you can not to give those back. Okay. Right? And that takes mm-hmm. us to our second rule. Don't cede any ground to your enemy. Right. Everything you take, you keep. Mm -hmm. Man, that sounds like something from Riddick. I like that. keep what you kill. (laughs) Wasn't that from the first Riddick? I think so. I think it was the necromancers that that had that whole doctrine.
1: My my mind's so twisted, I went to Pirates of the Caribbean. Take what you can. Give nothing back. It's like, wait, that's not the same thing.
0: It's not, but... I like that line and I like the (laughs) actor that delivered that. I think he was talking to Jack and that Uh is uh, his, what is it called? Your first mate? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I I like that dude. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) we we get off topic. Uh, Take what you can and you give nothing back. Cause you got to take all the ground from the enemy. And that's where the the Bible uh, gives us a counter-offensive strike package. We get, access to use a three phased assault plan. You know, there's a tactic here to take it to the enemy. I, It's, it's so interesting how juxtapose our perception of reality is from what I think real reality is. We envisioned Satan and his, his cohorts as this unstoppable force. And maybe mm-hmm. we could just get a little bit of victory. And that'll be good. But the ironic right. thing is that the church was put here to be a correcting agent. To the forces of darkness, constantly yeah. frustrating and thwarting their plans. Right? Mm-hmm. Which yeah. means we are actually supposed to be a body of action.
1: Yes, yes, we need
0: to. What yeah. is it that the
1: church, that the, the gates of hell will not prevail against it? A
0: right.
1: gate is a defensive position. So it is implied in this statement that we are supposed to be Storm an opposing... The
0: Yes, storming the gates. Yeah, we're supposed to be, not just sitting passively by, wishing and hoping and passively praying. It's not to say that there's not a place for prayer, but that should not replace action. And if we're going to take action, it's got to be done, as Scripture says, decent and in order, which means there's a methodology in play. It shouldn't be chaotic. And Scripture provides that methodology. Number one, you expose the position of your enemy. Now, why do you have to do that? You got to do that because your enemy isn't stupid. despite what you may think (laughs) the enemy is incredibly brilliantly smart and adaptive. And what he has learned and what he executes is the fact that the best strategy and the best attack method is the one you don't see coming. So he Mm -hmm. functions in camouflage. He functions in deception. He functions in... Operating in the shadows. Guerrilla tactics. And so the first thing to do is put the light on him. Expose what he's doing. Right? That's why the first rule was so important. Educate yourself. So that with that education, you're equipped with the tools to be able to expose the actual tactics and workings and goings on that the enemy is doing under the cover and cloak of darkness. Once it's exposed, you got to resist it right that mm-hmm. that requires getting into the war effort you have to fight back and you don't just resist like in that remember 300 when they got attacked by like the 10,000 persians and they all hit him at the gates they went up against their shield and they hit uh-huh. them with so much force and Leonidas was like hold hold okay uh-huh. that's the resisting that's the opposing nature of battle but what he didn't do was just stay behind the shields forever. Once that force was observed attack. And mm-hmm. that's what the third phase is that we're given biblical authorization to do not physically attack, not go beat people up, not do do harm in that sense because scripture makes it clear. You don't fight. You're not, your battle is not against flesh and blood. Correct. It is against spiritual authorities. Against principalities, powers, rulers. Sidebar on that. It's fascinating to me when Scripture lists stuff that just seems arbitrary, mm-hmm. and then you do some research, and you found out, you find out, oh my god, that's really dope. There's more to that than what I realized. So in Laura, we're in Laura Sanger's book. I'm sorry, we're in Doctor Laura Sanger's book. The uh, roots of the Federal Reserve, right? Mm-hmm. And going through it, she details out the Jesuit order. And she goes through the, I believe it's an oath that's taken by the commander of the, the Jesuit order, which would be considered, I, I believe, a, a black pope, it's like commander in chief. Yep. Right, it's it's a it's a horrible oath that they take. But one of the fascinating things to me was the fact that people who occupy that position, and maybe others within the Jesuit order, are considered rulers. Okay. Scripture says, "You wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers." Huh, that is interesting. The things that rulers are trying to put in place, the agendas. Okay. These are the things that we really wrestle against, and so, like we said, they've got to be exposed. They've got to be resisted. But then here's the fun part: tear it down. Yes, that's the real thing that we're called to do. It's not just again hide behind the shields. It's once it's look for that strategic moment to where you can go on the counterattack. Mm-hmm. You can engage the ideas. You can talk with people. You can you can take apart memes. You can have those conversations. Getting involved in the work is so important, right? That's how pop atheists lose the ground that they are trying to take from the church. And it's mm-hmm. so essential that we get involved in that that conflict. Right. We've got to. Because it, another again, we're supposed to be the correcting agents. I'm sorry, man.
1: No, that's fine. Correcting agents. Yeah. But one of the other ways that we do, we get engaged is Praying like it's all up to God and working like it's all up to us. Two phases of it. So some of the stuff I think that we can pray about is that God sharpens our minds and helps expose the the deceit that surrounds us. Like the list of things that we went through today. Like You can do work, but there's knowing that there's spirits behind it to help give you discernment and sharpen you to, to be able to see things like that. But also if you're actually engaging with a person and this is important that as much as we can bone up on how to attack an argument, if we're really engaged with uh, one-on-one or face-to-face with a person, we can't forget that there is a person there and not just to be so excited about demolishing the argument that we also damage the person. And Good. Uh, Good. Good yeah, so I think that if when we end up in these situations, we should pray that the Holy spirit gives us insight on how to carefully deal with the person that is presenting the argument as well as dealing with the argument. I like that. I think that's nice. Now the things that we can do to work is we have to have to have to engage our brains. If it doesn't make sense, we have a responsibility to search it out and resolve that confusion. We've, we've got to do that. We, we have to be more responsible with our thought life than to, in to neglect the, the areas that, that don't resolve or don't make sense to us. That's not an okay space to stay in. Right. And I, the other thing is it's more of something we should do less but we don't actually have to go to every argument we're invited to. What do you now, mean, we need, to, <laughs> we need to be able to answer and give a reason for the hope that we have, but that we shouldn't also confuse that with arguing with everyone that has an opposing idea. That's yeah. not what we're supposed to do.
0: That's a good point. Uh, so, I, I forget what it was. I think I was reading a book. It was talking about the heart of a warrior. And one of the things that pointed mm-hmm. out that One of the strategies of our enemy, if you can't stop a warrior from going to battle, then try to drown them with the with the constant fight that they never can win. Okay, which is disheartening. Right. So you're absolutely right. We don't have to go after every battle, but we need to be ready. For our call to arms. Yep. And when we are dispatched, we need to we need to execute. Effectively.
1: Hmm. I agree. That's a good point. Thanks, man. Now, if you've done all that and you're sitting around bored. Share the show. We appreciate it or keep on sharing the show. You've done an excellent, excellent job.
2: Whoa. Sharing whoa, and getting whoa, the word out. Whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, whoa. What? If these people that you just said should continue sharing the show. Are sitting yeah. around bored after listening to our show. <laughs> we got a lot to either fix or talk about.
1: Hey, there's got to be some people out there that are just way beyond us. And they're eating it all up going, all right, what else you got? What else you got?
0: You know what? They have not reached out to us on Instagram. They haven't told <laughs> us, hey, guys, step it up. We haven't gotten an email at Talk at saying, yo, peoples, Gentlemen. I need more, more content, please. (laughs) Johnny five out. That's funny. Right. So (laughs) since we ain't got that, I don't think we should have folks sitting around talking about I'm bored. Okay. That's fair. So let me share this boring show with the rest of (laughs) y'all. I didn't say we were boring. Yeah, I know. But that was the, that was the intimation that was left. (laughs) (laughs) My bad. My bad.
1: But beyond sharing the show, uh, consider joining our Patreon. Yeah you can find uh, a bulk of our material at orppodcast.com and you can find our patreon at patreon.com slash operation red pill it's an
0: i thought its is it slash operation red pill or slash ORP? I think yeah, it is slash i think it's slash operation red pill no it's slash i think we changed ORP it podcast. is this is this
1: an old one yeah i think, yeah, I think it's is. orp podcast yeah. my bad Let's just try that line again. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. And there's there's three tiers of support that you can give us. You can give us Cover Fire for five bucks a month. That'll give you all the links and resources that we use to make the episode. And then it'll also give you full-length episodes. Everything on that level that we do will end up on Patreon. Overwatch cover Seven bucks, you get everything that you get in the cover fire tier, but you also get access to the the studio notes that we actually put together and that we're looking at as we go through our episode. And a lot of times there's a bunch of nuggets and tidbits and stuff that we just prepared that didn't have a chance to make it into the show. So that's a cool behind the scenes
0: aspect of Patreon. I'm trying to figure out what a tidbit is. I don't know. It's a thing. I know. I've heard it, but as soon as you said it, I was like, what the hell is a tidbit?
1: A nugget. That's why Timbits are called Timbits because it's a playoff
0: of tidbits. Shut up. You have now ruined Timbits for me. (laughs) I will constantly think about that from here on out. (laughs) For those who listen that do not have a Tim Hortons or don't know what a Timbit is, it's a product from a company called Tim Hortons, a coffee company that serves donuts and other things, but they cut out the Middle part of the donut, the donut hole, and they serve that as well, and they call it a, a 10-bit. Right. And I want people just wondering what the heck we were talking about.
1: <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Maybe we should add
0: 10-bits it... to one of these levels here And Patreon. <laughs> we're
1: going to ship out 10-bits to people. Just one of them. One timbit. bit <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's funny. But the, the, the highest tier, the big daddy tier of support, this bring the rain, 10 bucks a month, gets you everything in the first two tiers, and then you get to join in on a monthly Zoom call with Jason and I. Those are always a good time.
0: Have a blast. I like when they get spicy. Yes, yes.
1: Last one was our best one yet. Hopefully oh, yeah. they
0: just keep getting better. No, it was good. You know, because we like to cover current events, which we don't really get to on the show. Right. And then we also talk about upcoming projects, you know, just a, a quick what's up that, that we got coming around the corner. But then we love the, the the part that really gets the juices going, so to speak, is when we open up the floor for questions. Because you never know yeah. what people have going on in the noggin, right? Uh-huh. You, n- you never know what's been stirring. And you get these questions and you're like, oh, my God, that is like a really good question. And it sparks all this great conversation.
2: Yeah.
1: It's literally Always my favorite part
0: of the the monthly Zoom call.
1: Yep, it's about just getting through the other stuff so we can do questions. Right. (laughs) But here's the last thing that you can do, is remind yourself what Scripture tells us, which is that we are never alone, and we're not fighting alone. God has promised to never leave us, and we have a community of believers all over the world and a loving God who actually intervenes on our behalf. Because one day, we won't be subject to the constant ideological attacks that we see today. One day, we won't feel like we're going crazy just trying to stand up for what's right. One day, we will be able to bask in the light of truth and all its glory. But until then, we are deployed to this dystopian rock by our savior in chief, the very one that's commissioned us on a seesaw.
0: That's right. We're like combat, search, and rescue here, people. And be advised, the hostages we're after are likely to be hostile towards us. But you know what? We still gotta go get them. Now our task in order is simple. We're to search for and rescue anyone that can be sympathetic to Christ, but is currently held hostage under Satan's deception. You make no mistake, he will be operating in a hostile environment, but the rules of engagement are clear. Listen to me, if you take fire, we expect you to give fire. Now I need you to keep your head on a swivel out there. You stay frosty, you stay faithful, and above all, stay in the fight. That means do not give up, because we're counting on you. You ain't alone out there. We're fighting right next to you, and we'll see you out there again fighting on the front line. 10-4.